0: Hello, Jodzia. Pull the trigger, Esri. Five hours left, Miles. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the spookiest podcast around. That's right, it's the Dura Sisters Podcast. I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Rihanna. And I'm terrified, also. <laughs> And I'm Joran as well. Get out of my trail symbiote. (laughs) Well, now I'm in a very weird headspace. (laughs) Thinking a lot about our favorite murderers here on Deep Space Nine. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) That's about all. (laughs) So, Ashlyn, this is the third episode of our spooky series. We are on to Deep Space Nine, so we are so thrilled to be bringing you this episode on Halloween Day, so I'm very excited about that, and we're just pumped to be here. Yes, we are so pumped. We are also recovering from our amazing journey to Indiana That we took this past weekend. Please go listen to our statue special. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Which we recorded right after we were able to see the great Kate Mulgrew. I am honestly still kind of like my headspace is kind of in Voyager still. And so I am though like I'm very happy to be talking about V Space Nine this week. And it'll give me a chance to take a break from obsessively listening to Taylor Swift's new album Midnight and applying it to the life of Janeway. So. Not even one midnight but midnights. Yeah plural. it's midnights yeah <laughs> it's about all of her various midnights and who. yes uh yeah Taylor Swift brain rot Voyager was amazing we were so excited to be there and now yeah let's try to shift our brains a little bit and talk about the wonderful Deep Space Nine. We have some very important people to thank. Oh my gosh, Gildara, John T. Bolds, Kerla Nascos, Jeff Richardson, Wolf Witt, Never Otter Even, Rick Mason, Anna Post, T. Alexander, Michelle, and Ivan Fetch. I said you all in a crazy order this week <laughs> because I appreciate you a crazy amount. Thank you so much for being our patrons. We really appreciate you, and we are very excited to be sending all of our patrons, new and old, Revised and updated stickers because we just changed our logo to a fantastic logo that Rihanna designed herself. So, if you want to become a patron, this is a great time to get in on the ground floor, get a new sticker, refresh your yeah. collection, put it on your car, put it on your notebook. So, you're yeah. always carrying the Dura sisters around with you. Totally. We're going to be refreshing our store as well with our new logo, is going to go up on everything when I have a little bit more downtime. And I'm very excited uh, for you to all see that. But if you don't want to pay, or if you only want to pay $1 and become a patron and get a free sticker, boom, that's the way to do it. Yep, absolutely. And we will be having some tears starting pretty soon. Not like the crying tears, but like <laughs> tears of steps. Yeah, on not a... tears of the profits. Like oh the God, yeah, none of that. <laughs> so seriously, get in now before that changes and uh, we yeah. revise our Dura Sisters layout. Yes, Absolutely. So Ashlyn, I am so curious, when you're thinking about Deep Space Nine, what is an episode that you found to be very terrifying, either now or when you were a kid? Well, actually, I I first want to share some answers that I saw on um, social media, because we've been asking every week for these spooky episodes, what stuck out to all of you. And (laughs) overwhelmingly, (laughs) on... (laughs) Instagram, uh, we have uh, Tony Scardia said, the only one I can think of is Mpocnor, but I feel like there's probably spookier ones. Um, Minnesota Milf says Candyman, which is a hilarious reference. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Very deep cut, I guess. It's not actually a Star Trek episode, but the guy who played Elder Jake Sisko was in Candyman. So I think that was the connection, but let us know if we're wrong. <laughs> but I appreciate you throwing that out there. Ashland Crities says Mpok Arman Bashir says Mpok and I know there was at least one more person who said Mpok as well, so Mpok was definitely the winner on Instagram, and on Twitter, we heard from Trek Untold, thank you, Matthew, he said, this one with Meg Foster as Jake Sisto's Muse is pretty spooky, and that is the episode Muse, Indie Space Nine, I agree, I really considered that one, actually, for the watch list, and then Rebranded says Mpok <laughs> Wow, thank you for the, uh, thank you, Matthew, for the Muse reference. That is a really good one. Absolutely. Yeah. So, So, to answer your question, Rihanna, Deep Space Nine, I feel like we have to kind of change the categories of horror that we're looking at. Deep Space Nine goes really deep into the human psyche. And so, some of these episodes, while not necessarily being spooky, are just downright scary or. Traumatizing, hard to watch because our characters are having a hard time, and so, no pun intended. Thank you, pun completely intended. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a novice out here. <laughs> um, so for me, actually, like an episode that haunted me more than scared me growing up is "Hard Time" with O'Brien. Ashley, that's a really great answer. Uh, I really appreciate your take on that. I it's so different exactly what you're saying what we considered scary in deep space nine i think it's definitely changed you know in my lifetime i think when i was younger i was actually really scared by the uh that clip in the episode facets where avery brooks portrays geron dax avery brooks's acting is so good that like that moment stuck with me for years even though it's only like a five minute scene I was like completely terrified of Jaron Dax and so when he came back in Field of Fire and of course we had met him or like learned about him earlier in the episode Dax so I think just the whole concept of him is really scary and especially having Avery Brooks be like the most phenomenal actor ever. Portraying that is just so so chilling to watch Um, so definitely as a kid I was really scared of that but definitely in my rewatches episodes like things past where you're learning a lot more about the occupation and the horrors that went on behind the scenes and in front of the scenes really everywhere to a deeper more fundamental level of our characters is all like really chilling to me especially because I used to I used to be a big Odo fan and have kind of changed my tune a lot on Odo so we'll be discussing that later but yeah just really excited to talk about these episodes today. Great shot Rihanna, thank you. So yeah, let's, let's go through it. So we are going to first be talking about the changelings, actually. Thanks for ringing up Odo. Yeah. We're going to be talking about the Adversary and then Purgatory Shadow slash By Inferno's Light. And then we'll be moving to the Paw Wraith section. I know you all are looking forward to that deeply. <laughs> um, what's creepier than a Paw Wraith? Literally. <laughs> Not much. What's creepier than the devils? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we'll first be talking about the Assignment and then Covenant and then the Reckoning. And then we will be moving on to murder, a great section, talking about things past, facets, and field of fire. And then we're going to end with The Madness of O'Brien et al. With whispers, hard time, waltz, and M. Pac-Nor, the one you all apparently are waiting for. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and you can tell, like, obviously this is a very different uh, series than, like, we haven't covered a lot of war episodes in this because we're going more for spooky Halloween rather than spooky real-life war stuff. Um, but I do want to shout out Deep Space Garrick on Instagram. They're in a, a freaking fantastic account, and they did a 31 Days of Spooky DS9 list. They're watching one every day and talking about it, doing an overview, really detailed stuff, and so we were able to come up with a few more options for Deep Space Nine that maybe were a little different than what we considered spooky-wise, you know? Like I I hadn't really thought of um, of things like uh, Feel the Fire until I saw that episode and different things like that, um, things passed as well. So just thank you so much, Deep Space Garrick, for the hard work you do on making that beautiful collection. Yeah, seriously. I think next year, if we want to absolutely die we could do 31 days of spooky yeah. DS9 episodes and just, like, just ignore all our other series. <laughs> <laughs> or spooky Trek in general, yeah, like Strange New Pod is doing, so... Yeah, exactly, yeah. and I did, I continue to get my watch list from Giraffe and the, um, like, watch list she worked so hard on and yeah. everyone at Strange New Pod, so it's been a lot of balancing different people's recommendations and, like I talked about, just trying to figure out what type of episode we wanted... Because like Rihanna said, the war is scary <laughs> on a very human level. Yeah. but we are going for a more spooky vibe and DS9 it just never really gives it gives it to us straight. you know there's always totally. these, these deep nuances within the episode. So I think with that, Rihanna, let's start talking about changelings and uh, start discussing the adversary. Yeah, and I think we need a friend to take along on this journey, so it oh, is time yes. to choose an action figure. Woo! It's everyone's favorite part of the pod. we <laughs> <laughs> get to hear us ruffle around. I did will say, in editing the action figure section, I have to turn it down because it's always so loud, and the no- <laughs> like the noise of the action figures is kind of disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> Very good for spooky. Yeah. Okay, and I'm telling you now that if I choose... Garrick or Bashir. I have to choose another to see if I get them as a pair because they should be together. (laughs) Oh, okay. Okay, I have a choice. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Rihanna, who do you have? I am extremely lucky. I got Jazia Dax as in her Klingon outfit. She looks freaking amazing. She's like all silver, gorgeous looking. She looks great. Um, yeah. I, I love this because I got Gowron, and Darn! he's wearing the same outfit as Gen Zia. <laughs> oh my god, yes, they look amazing. So we have a Klingon special today because, of course, we're the Dura sisters. So Yeah, it, started, was, it was meant to be. <laughs> yeah, the prophets guided us to this. Also, last week, I just want to update everybody. Uh, I did ask where my Picard action figure was from. I kept Googling it, like, Picard with brown shirt with a cross... <laughs> <laughs> on his chest like what's going on he looks like a merchant it turns out that this is Picard in the episode Gambit in season seven of TNG which I don't rewatch a lot of season seven so thank you there was a ton of people who responded on my Instagram help like Incredible. quest for knowledge yeah. so thank you but that Picard last week was missing an arm and Gowron is missing an arm this week so I, I feel like oh. we have a good like arm missing trend sadly yes truly <laughs> wow very sad I'm glad that Judzi is intact Just rub it in, sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's begin, Ashlyn, like you said, with the Changelings. And this is the episode The Adversary, which is a season three episode. So we are inching towards the war arc that is beginning very soon. It has been starting for a while since we heard the name The Dominion and met our first Vorta, but now we are really getting into some more uh, sketchy territory when it comes to. Just changelings in general. This is an earlier episode. This is the end of season three. And I really did not expect to see any changelings this early in the show. But here we are. This is one of the first times they encounter a changeling. And this episode is pretty essential to how... I mean, besides Odo, obviously. An, an enemy, quote-unquote, changeling. And this episode is really important and sets up the precedent for how they're going to deal with changings, changelings infiltrating Starfleet in the future. So I just thought Absolutely. it was important because of that reason. And it's uh, a little bit spooky. <laughs> this has got some really great tone setting, I'd say. So we start out with, uh, everyone is on the defiant and they are going to try to prevent a civil war. Essentially, Well, technically you just skip the birthday or you skip the like captain scene, which I'm kind of fine. About, oh, right. Except for oh, the oh, fact yeah, that, we that we meet this admiral who's he's the one who gave everybody this mission in the first place he says he came from starfleet command (laughs) he wants the defiant to go on this mission to what was what was the name of the people oh the 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 zentha that's right thank you rihanna zentha it's spelled so weird guys Yes. I'm sending it to Ashlyn because it's the weirdest spelling I've ever seen. So the idea is that uh, they heard some information from this admiral that they are on their way to start a war with the Federation and so the Defiant is is going but this first scene is important because Cisco becomes a captain which is great. They sing to him which is awful. I hate every time they sing. <laughs> she always hates it. Is it because they don't uh, sing happy birthday or what? No it's the well it's not his birthday. But I, know, but I just i i don't like it like stop singing <laughs> to each other i just <laughs> she would literally like scream in a fury every time she heard them do for where he's a jolly good fellow especially like, when it's like in yeah. klingon it's like joe war for jolly, jolly, jolly Craig. Craig. and i'm like shut up stop no, singing what yeah. that's amazing i think I often we know klingon songs often it happens in episodes that are really unsettling or, True. like, are not what they seem. And so I think I'm just, like, triggered into thinking, like, something yep. wrong, something bad is going to happen. So if they're singing, watch Especially out. Especially if they start hip-hip hooraying, hip, then you know Oh, it's my really God, scary. get out of there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. It's a perfect way to start this episode because they're singing, and this admiral is, like, all charm. He seems really excited and full of life. And then yeah. they get on the Defiant. <laughs> the first, I mean, so O'Brien is just kind of jumpy in general and then a weird thing happens he finds Bashir like crawling around the vents (laughs) with him and O'Brien's like bro what are you doing and O'Brien or Bashir's like hey I took some extension courses so I thought it'd be fun to like hook up my own thing for the medical bay you know it sounds great and O'Brien's like I could have done that that's weird yeah like very strange and I like too that when O'Brien's hearing noises he says to himself like you're getting jumpy O'Brien And I'm like, no, you're not, dude. You have the good instincts. You have been in the war. You've been in all these hard situations. Maybe not all of them yet, but (laughs) he will. (laughs) I'm like, no, keep being jumpy. Like, keep. You're not jumpy. You are just alert, because he did. It is in fact true that that Bashir was a changeling, and we start to realize this when things start to break down when things start to break down, essentially, like, uh, powers going off. Uh, then there's the ends up where the ship is now entirely out of the control of the Starfleet of the officers on board. They are not in control of navigation weapons, uh, cloaking, anything. And it turns out the ship cloaks itself and starts heading, heading toward Zinkathy space, uh, without, you know, any explanation and so then they're like, there must be an infiltrator on board and we have to figure this out and so that's when O'Brien reluctantly replies, oh I did see Bashir, like where he shouldn't have been and so then everyone's a little bit suspicious of him and they're like, okay, what's going on? They don't know yet this is a changeling and so then this big reveal comes Um, when they're like, okay, well, whoever was in the corridor would have had this strange radiation on them still. And so we have to take these scans really quick before it goes away. They scan Bashir. He's good. So a little weird because you're like, but we saw him down there. We know he was there. And then, um they're finally getting around to this admiral who promoted Cisco and that is when he (laughs) freaking turns into a changeling and like shoots his gooey self (laughs) up into a vent and everyone is just shocked and it's such a cool camera angle because first you kind of follow the changeling and then it's kind of shot from above so it's kind of like now you're the changeling yourself and you're like looking down at everyone looking up at the camera it's really cool shot and I really like the way that they like reveal that it's a changeling because I remember being pretty freaking surprised when I first watched this episode. Yeah because you're not thinking that like being a Star Trek veteran if you've seen this much Star Trek by like the end of season three you think ah someone's got their body being taken over or maybe there's just you know something going on somebody's having a bad day or someone's under orders from section 31 you know I'm thinking all of these things. Yeah and I think the suspense of O'Brien scanning everybody one by one is really good as well because they're all on the bridge and it's like you're holding your breath, like who's going to test positive, you know, like yeah. who's going to be the saboteur. And totally. also props you were talking about the shot, Rihanna, the the film shot. This is directed by Alexander Siddig. So, nice. crushing this, and I also thought, you know, when we see Bashir crawling, when we see Bashir crawling around, he did look a little smug, and I think that's because he, <laughs> he was directing and he was like, "Hey, hey. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, this is so fun, this is gonna look so good, <laughs> and it does." You know, I think that this uh, episode has all the key element of suspense that you need for a good spooky episode because after the changeling jets off into the vents, then, you know, we sort of fall into this like, okay, there's a traitor on our midst and we don't know who it is, really scary trope. I think this is an excellent trope and something that has the audience continue to question and something I've always loved about Deep Space Nine is that we don't really follow the criminal or the like evil person. So we are just as in the dark as everyone else is, you know, and some shows will like give the viewers an inside. Uh, knowledge but I really like that we're as blind and wondering just as much and I start to accuse everyone in my brain I'm like it could be Kira she's acting weird no it's that bully and he's acting weird okay it's definitely Cisco he's acting really weird (laughs) but everyone's acting weird because they're all on edge and they're all exactly having the same kind of line of questioning yeah I think the mind games that are played in this episode is done really well it reminds me of like a murder mystery where everything that's being said is um, extremely scrutinized. And I like Cisco's suggestion that they start going everywhere together, like two at a time, no matter where you're going. This starts to break down when the changeling starts to infiltrate their pairs and they the, the groups get separated even for a minute. And there's a, a moment where... Cisco, Kira, and the Bolian, and O'Brien, I think, are all together. And they all lost sight of each other. And they're like, ah, like, ah. any yeah. one of us could be the changeling right now. But then Odo comes and he said, actually, Cisco, you can't be a changeling because you're bleeding. And then, ding, ding, ding. This is the most important moment of the show. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> because that's the thing that's going to lead towards identifying a changeling in the future is if you like, pass a blood test because a changeling doesn't, like, bleed. They just turn Mm -hmm. into goo if you cut them. Uh, Then you know that you're human or you're whatever species you need to be. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So this is a great discovery. Yeah, I'm just proud. Like, the great job, everyone. How cool is Deep Space Nine because they set so much groundwork so early on, you know, that, like, this is going to be important for Paradise Lost and Homefront. This is going to be important for... A million more episodes to come up and one that we actually will be talking about next so like it's really important just all around and I think that like after this they should just be doing blood screening and phaser sweeps all the time like I don't know if that's just my paranoia or because I know how the show goes you know but like I feel like this should set a precedent more than it does but I think that there is a sense of complacency you know like okay it was just one changeling it's a one-off Even though they're realizing that that, since it was the Admiral from Starfleet who was the Changeling, this entire operation was a falsehood and made it a trap for the Defiant and for the Federation. And the Zinkathy have like nothing, no wars going on, but they want to start a war with them um, to put the Federation at odds, you know, and all this stuff. So I think that too, one of my favorite scenes is when they are... Cisco tells them to go in pairs and like watch your partner, you know. So they're everyone's kind of got phasers trailed on each other here, like you said. Then they all get separated, and I, like, it's kind of a funny scene because I'm just like, you guys are like had one job, and then all of them turned their backs on their partners and they were gone for a minute and like even um Eddington who's supposed to be like this amazing like really great officer like f- I think he was former Maquis or section 31 or something right I just don't like Eddington yeah. at all and so the entire time I'm like it's Eddington yeah <laughs> exactly no literally and it shows where our bias is like I'm like it's that bullion he's being such a such a dick you know like and it's then you're like him. oh no I'm I'm xenophobic, I'm just, xenophobic. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm just trusting the humans more or Kira more but yeah so I love the Blood breakthrough, and then also <laughs> blood breakthrough. <laughs> it's really great. <laughs> and then uh, once they start doing the blood screenings, we see that dun dun dun, it was Eddington Yeah, but actually, it wasn't. So yep. this is such a cool fake out because we have the only problem with the blood screenings is that. If you are the ones doing the screening, like Dr. Bashir is, who again, a changeling took his form. Poor guy. (laughs) This is the second time in this episode. And he is able to manipulate the blood test. So he just like holds onto the tube and makes it look like, I don't know, uses his own changeling ability to make it look like his uh, Eddington's blood is a changeling. That's so so, smart. It's so annoying. It's frustrating that he can do that because no wonder they want to utilize a doctor's position, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that's just crazy important. Yeah. Um. I, I mean, it's the tropes, you know? It's like the people who are annoying are always the changelings. Also, <laughs> yeah. the, like, suspicious admiral who comes to say <laughs> hi is always suspicious. Yeah. And I, except Admiral Janeway, sorry, I'll stop true, thinking true. about her soon. Um, I thought, like, Something that kind of haunted me at the end of the episode was when they were kind of playing it out in their minds. Like they were searching the Admiral and he's been missing for a, a time, which mm-hmm. is very scary. So that means yes. he's, it, it introduces the idea that a changeling could capture you and take over your place in Starfleet for an extended amount of time. Yeah exactly ashlyn and this is really why we wanted to have this whole section on changelings because the overall idea of this is really terrifying particularly i love how this episode ends because we have this moment where they're both odos which i knew was going to happen like i had forgotten this episode but i knew i'm like there's gonna be another odo they're gonna have to be like oh it's you it's you you know this is such a kirk thing this has happened 18 million times in all of star trek <laughs> so i was ready for it um but like That idiot just needs to stun both of them. I don't care if you stun Chief of Operations, Chief of Security, just do it. Like, Odo will be fine. He's gonna, like, just, they'll be stunned, and then one of them will revert back eventually, and you'll figure out which one is the real, like, Infiltrator, and you'll figure out which one is Odo. I just think it was so silly, they had to do this whole, like, no, remember I did this, and then they're, like, chasing each other around, and, like, melding together into one goo to try to, like... Uh, you know, make the other completely die or whatever, rejoin the Link. Then finally, Odo just shoves him into like the warp core or something, some like really big yeah, engine. the warp core. I think it was the warp core, Yeah. which turns him into ash. Like he like shrivels up, looks like kind of the female changeling at the end of the series, like all shriveled and flaky, and then just turns into ash. But right before he does, he grabs Odo and whispers something. And so then, you know, he turns into ash, he's dead, cisco they're all back everything's you know it's like captain's law or supplemental you know you have the ending thing but then odo comes in and tells cisco what he heard him whisper and the changeling said quote you're too late we're everywhere Ooh, like what the best ending like i know that deep space nine is like known for their endings especially of like their Cliffhangers and stuff, but this isn't even a cliffhanger. But it's something that leaves you so uneasy, and that is, of course, one of our hallmarks of our spooky episodes. I mean, it's a great way to end season three because you're excited to come back, even though things like things are looking a little mysterious. But like, still, Cisco's a captain now, and let's see yeah. what the future holds. Uh, totally. Thank you for mentioning that, Rihanna. And to me, like, yeah, the cheesy I'moto, no I'moto fight. Yeah, is cheesy and it's star trek i'm yeah Uh literally thinking about a thousand times this happens with kirk (laughs) yeah like more than just the movies yeah (laughs) Yeah. like Like what (laughs) but yeah it goes so dark when odo murders the changeling Mm -hmm. and i just i know odo is problematic but i i guess i never really thought through the fact probably the best way to stop this changeling from causing havoc was to kill him Mm
1: -hmm. or to
0: kill them I just never thought that through, and so to see o- Odo, like, murder one of his own to protect the Defiant, I just, I, I know he must have had some dark thoughts about that, you know? like yeah, he's it's like never... the hallmark rule of, of changing society. That's literally the rules, like, don't harm another changeling, because they're all a part of the link, and they're all mm-hmm. connected, so that was, that was maybe even more haunting to me than the whole conspiracy thing we have set up which of course I'm also going to reference conspiracy from TNG because yeah. they basically took the little plastic bug and said now let's <laughs> do this with changelings. Yes, now we're going to upgrade to shapeshifters here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um so this leads us right into uh our two-parter of in purgatory shadow and by inferno's light. Um so I was pretty adamant about us adding this section even though granted It's not like your typical spooky episode, but more because of the writing and the lead up to this is so immensely important that I think people give it credit for. And maybe it's because I'm obsessed with this arc and I really love Garrick and Bashir, so we get a lot of great time with them together. But, and I also love Garrick's storyline, great family episode, all this kind of stuff. Worf has a wonderful, wonderful plot in this. Uh, Even we get to see Martog, so it's a really exciting change of pace, you know, than we get from the station. And so, I just, like, because we're talking about how that changeling said, you're too late, we are everywhere. This is it. This is where we're seeing the, seeing what's actually going on here from the inside perspective, from the Dominion perspective. So we are now in season five, so it's been quite a freaking long while since the end of season three where we were just talking. And so a lot of things have happened. A lot of, great funny episodes and some scary ones and the war is starting to progress into something more. This is where we learn, nearing kind of the middle part of this episode, that Bashir, Julian Bashir, has been replaced by a changeling and we also learn that Martok uh, has been replaced by a changeling and that there are strategic, like others, who have been strategically taken silently without anyone knowing and being replaced by changelings. And of course, this was the fear in Homefront and Paradise Lost. This is, you know, like we were just saying, all building upon itself. And so I do want to talk very briefly about just sort of a timeline on this because it's really important to think about um, and Shout out to AO3 for being amazing. Sorry, not AO3, LOL. <laughs> shout out to... I was like, Archive of Our Own? <laughs> My brain just said shout out to AO3. Like, it's, it's <laughs> great, but how did it help? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Memory Alpha for being amazing. And to get to talk a little bit about this, I also looked up some things on Reddit because I just wanted to know, when was Bashir replaced? Because there's no specific episode or something that tells us uh, and Bashir, of course, doesn't say when we see him in the Dominion camp, we, he doesn't say like, oh, I disappeared on episode five of this season, you know, like he just said he was heading to a medical conference. Yeah, and it, yeah, that's what shook me too. And I just assumed, I'm so glad you're saying this, Rihanna, because I assumed I missed it, like yeah. on a previous episode that Bashir was like, hey, see you in a couple days. Bye, O'Brien, we'll play some darts. Yeah. And then we see him come back at the end. Like I just, I, I just assumed that happened crazy crazy so um this is amazing i'm actually taking from an aol chat that i, I found on reddit like i was really <laughs> doing some deep dives to see when bashir was replaced and i'm gonna read this um quote from 1997 aol chat <laughs> so, i'm dead this is history this is before rihanna was born i'm gonna yeah. out you right now rihanna. <laughs> literally this chat is older than you older than me <laughs> So revolutionary. So this person says, based on the fact that the real Bashir was not wearing a newer uniform introduced in Rapture, we can deduce that he had been replaced by a changeling since at least that episode. This means that the changeling performed surgery on Cisco in Rapture, tried to help save the changeling infant in the begotten. On the other hand, it is also possible that, he was, that it was acceptable to wear either uniform style during the transitional period, as was seen in the transitional period in Star Trek Generations, indicating that he may have been captured after the aforementioned events. In response to often proposed question, Ronald D. Moore commented, quote, it would have been before Rapture. Oh. So just to give you a, a inclination of how long no one noticed that Bashir was a changeling, Rapture was season five, episode 10, and we don't find out about Bashir until season 5 episode 14 so we get a good four episodes and of course that's you know they take place in sort of an intermittent amount of time yeah that's not necessarily four weeks or a month yeah. like that could be a couple we, months we don't really know we did really find know. out that he's been there for a month so we did so find it out as a that, month okay yeah um it's been a whole month that no one was the wiser that Bashir had been taken we find out that he's been in solitary confinement for like at least a few days when we see him again that he's been captured for a month with Martog and Anabrentain. Martog's changeling has also been wreaking havoc and killing Klingons and, like, sacrificing a bunch of people, you know, to further the Dominion's cause. So, like, having a Klingon warrior beat a changeling is also terrifying. So just- and a doctor, like we were saying, because they can fabricate blood tests, they can- do so much and get into so many medical records that are, like, essential. Like, the doctor is actually, like, this most strategic point to, like, have someone change out. But I just gotta say, like, Bashir needs better friends or his friends just need to be better because, like, and also I get it, this change thing had great acting, but it's absolutely insane to me that a whole month and no one noticed. Like, the only thing O'Brien says about it in the end is that, like, oh, yeah, I just, like, you were easier to get along with. That's all. And I'm like, what in the world? I mean, that is a terrifying thought that you can hang out with a person you think is your friend for an entire month. I mean, everyone thought Matt eye Moody was who he was for a whole year, you know? So if you're a good enough actor, you could fool even Dumbledore. So, See, like, I, it's just I even think astonishing. that's, that's more like, acceptable because no one knows Moody except for Dumbledore, and everyone else kind of knows about the legend of him, but everyone personally, I'm sorry, Harry Potter deep dive, Um, but (laughs) everyone personally knows Bashir for four, five years, this whole crew, so I can't imagine, like, I just wonder if this changeling like did extensive research before he they must have you know they must um yeah. or have been like up secretly observing the station watching how Bashir behaves getting to know his schedule, um because that's insane and I Rhi and I had the same thought that you did. That at first I was like, oh man, he needs better friends. And then I thought about who his friends are and I'm like, oh, Brian needs to do better. He does. <laughs> and like, I was so surprised about Garrick, you know, and the only thing I can yeah. think is that he was distracted by the writing of Zial and him being together. <laughs> he was... Uh, that is distracting. <laughs> that was very distracting. <laughs> that he was like, oh, I'm suddenly attracted? What? I was what? like, am I straight? <laughs> <What>? I, I, <laughs> I've never had <laughs> these thoughts before for a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Literally... Like, it's I strange. think that maybe they, they did the Zial, you know, placement for that reason, to make it seem a little, like, less obvious that Garrick wouldn't know. But yeah, so I think that this often goes so overlooked, and why I really wanted to bring it up as a spooky element, um, because I get pretty fired up about this. Like, I sense figuring that out my very first time watching, and Bashir used to be my favorite, like, Deep Space Nine character. I was, like, really, really in love with him. Uh, and so, <laughs> sorry, I'm <laughs> laughing, Rihanna loves emotionally unavailable men. <laughs> oh yeah, totally, that's, that's my, that's my jam. <laughs> I wonder why. Um, but yeah, so, it's like, really interesting, because I remember going back after that, um, you know, I mean, it wasn't really an era where we could go back and watch, but like, once I was re-watching Deep Space Nine on my own, I would go back and like, deeply, deeply watch, Bashir interact with the rest of them for those four episodes that he had been taken. And it's like impossible to tell, obviously. They're trying to fool everyone, and they did. It was so flawless. And just like, and I just again have to applaud the writing for this, to have so many episodes where you have to like deeply look for signs. And yeah, there's signs, but it's never enough to pique my interest or to say, oh, that's a changeling, you know? And so I love getting to see Bashir come out in his older uniform and you just get like chills you're like holy beep like he has been gone for way longer than we all thought. Yes and Rihanna this does make me wonder and it makes me wish that I have read some D Space Nine behind the scenes books because these days when you're making television you as an actor might not know the ending of the entire show but I would hope that I assume that you're reading the scripts at least for the season and you're understanding like the character's arc and what's happening. I am assuming that Alexander Siddig knew what was going on, especially since it was just four episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also feel like even if they surprised him and said, Hey, like Bashir's been like different Bashir's been a changeling these past four episodes. And we're just telling you right now, I feel like that also works, too. Totally. Because then he didn't yeah. have to do... Not that he's not a fantastic actor, and mm-hmm. maybe he wouldn't have done anything differently. Yeah. Um, but I just thought... I was just wondering, you know, like how much he knew, how much they had planned ahead of time. DS9 is so much more serial than... Um, like TNG or TOS so I'm totally. assuming they were planning ahead but it does make me think about that because this same this is not normal for Star Trek this no. is completely trend-setting and insane for the for yeah. 90s Trek this is crazy yeah so thank you thank you Ashlyn for mentioning that that is absolutely a beautiful point I think either way I'm pleased you know like if it was planned out really far or not like and I'm scared it's brilliant. And scared yeah. and pleased <laughs> yeah it's terrifying and so I think this again is another episode to make you question literally everything especially seeing first Martog I'm like what but like what you know like, what I'm like so shocked. And then Bashir, I was like on the floor, like just like completely floored. Well, and you know what's crazy about this too is at the beginning of the episode, they receive coded Cardassian transmissions. And of course, mm-hmm. they ask the best spy on DS9 to decode them. Yeah. And he deadass, like he he just lies to mm-hmm. Cisco and he's like, Oh, it's nothing, don't worry about it. Yeah. But then he steals a shuttle with Bashir. Was yeah. It? Yeah, and Bashir or tries like, too. Bashir tells him tells him not to go and he takes him to Cisco. Yeah. Yeah, which is very telling. Of course, he's like, "I don't want you to go find me." (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. so I thought that like that was crazy, (laughs) because if Garrick had not gone, Bashir could still be there. Bashir could have died, and so could Martok. And like how important Martok is on the Klingon side of things, especially later in the war. Like, it's so important to have him out. I'm just, I'm just... Yeah, especially with Gowron shenanigans that are coming up that are going to be absolutely madness because also he's going to be a changeling later, I believe. So, you know, it's just, it's so great. And I love these changeling uh, storylines because really, I just, I can never trust anything or anyone, even though they're like my favorite characters. It's crazy. Yes. The last thing I want to mention before we move on from the changeling section is just how much I love Garrick and how much I love Andrew Robinson. Yeah. Because in these episodes where he's dealing with his dad, also, please go listen to our family, Deep Space Nine episode for yeah, more details. Seriously. But uh, the scene where he is like hoping, where he's trying to fight his claustrophobia Ooh, yeah. is, and I know this touches a place for Rihanna because she's very claustrophobic. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, it it's always... It's always hard to watch, and for me, I think it's a great thing to mention for a spooky episode, because out of everyone who's trapped in this Jem'Hadar station, we have Garrick, Worf, Martok, o- um, Bashir, Tain is dead at this mm-hmm. point, um, so we have this group who are all, like, amazing people, but yeah. none of them can get the, like, communications relay going except for Garrick. Mm-hmm. um, and... Worf and Martok are talking two of the Klingons that I respect like most in this world Mm -hmm. and they see Garrick just go right back into the closet said (laughs) into this into this little tiny space where Mm -hmm. if he doesn't perform this if he doesn't get it working they're all going to die thank you for bringing that up I think I was expecting them to kind of be like oh like you know maybe sort of belittling like mental battles or something but like I forget that this is like woke you know like people aren't stigmatizing mental health issues and they're not seeing it as any lesser than like a broken bone or something and so I love that they're all able to acknowledge because he's like basically thartic or um, uh, catatonic like, when he comes out, when he has to be, like, trapped in there for a while, while uh, the Cardassians, or while the Jem'Hadar are, like, walking around, so they don't see him, you know, they're like, oh, we'll just come up with another solution, like, we'll figure out another way, and Garrick's like, there is no other way, like, I'll go back in, and that's what Martok says, that line. And, well, and he says, oh, Mar- so Martok says, there's no greater enemy than one's own fears, and then Worf says, it takes a brave man to face them they're yes. they're not laughing like you said they're not laughing no. at him they are like oh my god <laughs> that is insane because he has like trauma induced claustrophobia you know which is like very different from me who just like i'm just claustrophobic i have no reason to like no uh starting point from that you know and so he has a very different type of claustrophobia that, sp- sp- that spawns from his trauma from his father who just died in front of him so it's just like piles and piles of trauma that he's <laughs> having to like wade through <laughs> And he does it masterfully. Like, I'm just always so impressed by him. <laughs> Sorry. I just... This is, this is D-Space 9. It's just piles oh, really. and piles of trauma. <laughs> <Some> trauma. <laughs> <laughs> and the next episode, everyone's fine. Woo! No trauma <laughs> to speak of here. I mean, he, they will actually talk about it. He'll talk about it with Ezri and have a great episode, but... Yeah. But not on this podcast. Not this time. Yeah. I mean, one creepy entity to a next. <laughs> Shall we do it? Hold on. Yes, let's do it. Rihanna, did you understand the assignment? I understood the assignment. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I did. Let's try to let's let's talk about the assignment. <laughs> okay, so you might be wondering why this isn't in our uh, the Madness of O'Brien at all section <laughs> because this is technically an O'Brien Suffers episode and it's usually on his list of many trials that he has to go through. No tribulations this time, <laughs> just trials. Oh lord. <laughs> um, but we put it, of course, in the Paw section because this is an episode where Keiko O'Brien is possessed by a Paw Wraith. And no, this is not the episode where Keiko O'Brien is possessed by another entity on Enterprise D. We didn't talk about that one, because this one's a scarier possession of Keiko O'Brien, I think. <laughs> <laughs> These one-liners are just, <laughs> just amazing. Yeah, yeah, Rihanna, thank you. Oh, man. So I really admire this paw wraith. I know that sounds like weird to say,
1: <laughs> but
0: weird. this paw wraith is acting alone. It's just like, oh, hey, there's a nice lady exploring this tunnel, a.k.a a cave actually a paw wraith fire cave yeah yeah a fire cave like come on keiko like did you like bring a mask you know wear some protection um and this paw wraith sees like this nice young lady and it's like you know what you're my vessel my plan is <laughs> to turn deep space nine into a murder machine and i'm just gonna kill the prophets this is a hail mary i've been waiting inside this fire cave for millennia you got one shot in this life, and also I I'm a little biased because <laughs> last night we just watched Eight Mile, which is like uh-huh. starring Eminem and it's kind of like loosely based off of his life. So Amazing. I was thinking about Keiko like, only got one shot. One it's shot. for the nine mission chance to go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Dr. laughs> opportunity comes once in a lifetime. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I feel yeah. like that was this paw race goal. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. I will never get to leave this cave and try to kill the prophet. So I'm doing it right now. And you know what? The, that paw wraith is very close to succeeding tenacity without <laughs> yeah. for a measly friendly quark or oh my god quark <laughs> um, yeah right he would never <laughs> without for like simple questioning brilliant technic technically minded rom the prophets would have been killed in yep. um season five of ds9 <laughs> <laughs> insanity this is what I love so much about this show. It's like all hands on deck here, y'all. <laughs> um, yeah, so we get uh, the opening of this is pretty unsettling, as usual in this spooky <laughs> series. You're going to hear about this a lot. But this um, is scary. <laughs> scary. We start out this episode where we figure out that Keiko's trees have been killed by O'Brien and Bashir. They're her beloved special trees that she's been, like her bonsai trees, she's been growing forever. Uh, and while she's away visiting the fire caves for five days. And so he comes back and Bashir o- makes himself scarce. He's like, "I'm not saying that I killed these trees." And so O'Brien has to break the news to her. And she's totally chill about it. like very not Keiko, you know, strange that she's not very upset about her trees because like this is her, this is her, like, she's a botanist this is her livelihood I mean I know they don't get paid but like it's her like fulfillment you know it's her passion it's even more important (laughs) because she it's like her 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 life goal goal. yeah yeah
1: Yeah. she's She's not just doing it for
0: rent (laughs) yeah literally like she took cuttings of them like they're very important to her and so the fact that she's like don't you worry about it like it's totally fine and then pretty much the next moment she says hi I'm not your beloved wife uh I am inhabiting your wife's body, and if you don't do as I say, I will kill her. And he's like, haha, hilarious, good joke. Anyway, Keiko, let's make out. And she's like, no, I'm serious. And she, like, stops Keiko's heart for a second, and, like, or get, and she's, like, then she wakes up, and she's like, any, like, your brains are so fickle, like, any burst artery, and you just die on the spot, like, it's so, it would be, it would take, like, a millisecond for me to kill your wife. And he's like, oh, she's serious. Yeah. Oh man. So O'Brien has many hard times in this, um, (laughs) in this watch list, but I honestly really admire him in this situation because I don't know what else you would do. Your, your wife's life is literally on the line and he's not gonna like, he's not gonna let her die just because he's trying to like protect the station, you know? Like, this is a situation where he will betray his career. He will lose everything, if possible, because he needs to keep Keiko alive. That's, like, the love of his life, you know? Yeah. No no matter what kind of spats they have or anything, this is what's so important. And also, I am imagining throughout this episode Keiko's perspective, because Mm -hmm. I think she is probably aware to some extent about what's going on. I don't yeah. know if she's, like, fully conscious and just not in control of her body at all, which would be an even deeper, scarier aspect. She actually does reveal at the end that she was conscious the entire time. Oh, God. I just, um, for she me... Said that, oh. She said that she was not in control of her body, so she could, you know, yeah, completely wear. Yeah, so that's that's just terrifying, and yeah. that's good, like, thick fodder, you know? Like, think about totally. this from Keiko's perspective and how painful it must be to see O'Brien have to... Try to remain calm throughout the situation, and he has to attend a party that Paul Wraith Keiko throws for him, and yeah, another birthday party. I get to sing again. See, I'm telling you, they only sing when things are sketchy and wrong, True and, and so scary. Yeah. yeah, like even in TNG, when they sing to Picard for he's a jolly good fellow, like he's literally being taken over by an alien. So I'm just saying, like if they sing, like it's <laughs> not good. Bad things yeah. are happening. Fair. Um, yeah, so I hate the singing again for his birthday. And uh, it's, it's even more frustrating because this paw is so kind and sweet and considerate to everyone around her. I'm just using she, her pronouns because she's in Keiko's body. Yeah, um, fair. <laughs> just for the, for ease of communication. Yeah, we don't know this pa right? Pronouns. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, it's it's kind of a kill him with kindness situation. It's like, O'Brien can't say that anything's wrong with her because she's acting so pleasantly to everyone and she yeah. worked so hard to throw this party and she mm-hmm. could just kill Keiko at any moment. So you can't argue, you just have to do what she says. Literally, and she's like after the party, Miles will talk, you know, like, she's, like, giving him those little warning, that, like, warning tone that you give, you know, and you're like, now, sweetie, Um, but it's all so much creepier because we as an audience know, and this is when it's success, this is when it's successful for audiences to know behind the scenes and to be right, be right there with o'brien in the other episodes it's good to have an element of mystery i really love that we get to be a part of this and i also love the scene where jaco's (laughs) jaco hey (laughs) jaco jake cisco is talking to keiko that's why i said (laughs) jaco jake cisco's talking to keiko Keiko. Um, and he's like oh how are the fire caves and he's like have you heard about this the paw wraith like uh the lore about the paw wraiths and it's just so erotic, you know, and I love that they added that scene because it's giving us immediate insight, especially big Deep Space Nine fans, if you're re-watching, I'm thinking, you know, fire caves, paw wraiths, gold ducat! 911, yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I'm like, oh no, we gotta get it we gotta get her. Like, this is even worse than just a random alien takeover. This is a like Bajoran devil takeover. Like, get thee to a nunnery immediately. <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. Need not an exorcism. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, it's really horrible when she's threatening Keiko, like in her own body. But it's even worse when she brings Molly into it. You know, I think that's really scary. Is when uh, we have like a lot going on, where O'Brien has like a time limit on the clock, and uh, then during this meeting. Keiko calls up to the meeting because she knows like oh like you might be telling them about me or might be trying to warn them and I need to also let you know about your time limit and she has Molly on her lap and brushing her hair and she brushes a little too hard and Molly goes like ow mommy and I'm like mommy please no (laughs) like I'm freaking out you know I'm like screaming at the television like please don't hurt her because like that makes it even worse like obviously it's horrible about Keiko but when you bring like a kid into it it adds a whole nother like really scary level especially because we've known Molly since TNG. Rihanna that sentence uh when you bring a kid to it, it when you bring a kid to it it adds a whole new level I'm gonna be saying that in a couple more episodes so <laughs> yes it's <just> true <laughs> hold on to that theme um mm-hmm. yeah I totally agree and I think what makes it worse too is that. O'Brien and the people watching the episode are trying to figure out how could he go around her? Can he talk to someone when she's not there and Will he be able to like get some information out about Keiko? But no like she's on him and she says multiple times I know you just as well as your wife does. It's just freaky to see that every step O'Brien takes out of line He is punished quickly and fiercely. Like, uh, he's on his way to tell Cisco about what's going on. And Keiko just, like, falls off of the top rail of the railing and, like, could have died. Like, the paw wraith almost causes her to kill herself. And Mm -hmm. it's very suspicious. And everyone's like, What is going on? Like, O'Brien, why were you even, like, in the promenade at that time? And he's like, (laughs) You literally can't say anything. Yeah. Yeah. You can't say a thing. But not saying anything also rouses suspicion you know exactly and um yeah that part's really scary like the the paw wraith fell in a way that like broke a lot of her bones but didn't kill her so like they were so strategic about like we're gonna hurt her but like she still won't die so i still can use her as a bargaining chip and so talk about like just like what a horrible like Paul rates are just the worst you know if you weren't aware like I think they're they're actually the worst villain <laughs> like Gul is like not as scary as as these paw rates can be and that's why it's scary when he is one <laughs> <laughs> and Kai Wen and all that I also want to mention too let's talk a bit about Rom's involvement in this because like you said he was the one to save the day really uh O'Brien is doing an amazing job but like it's just within the time limit that's given he's not gonna be able to to get all this done in the five hours allotted to him. So that's, like, terrifying. And so he is realizing this. Like, even as a brilliant engineer, he's like, oh my gosh, I I have to figure something out. Well, and I want to quickly introduce, like, she has given him a countdown to make all of these changes to to DS9 Mm
1: -hmm. within
0: an allotted amount of time. I'm not sure if that countdown is because she's going to kill Keiko staying in that body, or if the way like something to do with the rotation of the station like I don't know why there's a countdown but the paw wraithing Keiko is like extremely determined like will possibly hurt Molly if this doesn't happen on time so like you're saying Rihanna he enlists the help of Rom to get all of this done yeah exactly and he like gets his own little timer going and that's really scary too because we hear it every once in a while he's like he's like computer time and it's like three hours, 20 minutes. And you're like, uh, you know, like everyone has the same fear. And so once he talks to Rom, he says pretty much, cause Rom has had this little B plot arc where he's like really, really excited to be on O'Brien's engineering team, but he's not really getting the recognition he deserves. He's doing a lot of night shift stuff, pretty much all the grunt work no one else wants. Um, but he's finally getting promoted into the day shift. Um, he's starting to hang out with some people. They're just not being very friendly to him um kind of ostracizing him and so we are I I only say this because Rom is coming from a place of like kind of like an unpaid intern is how he really reminds me of you know is kind of like I will literally do anything for you I just want to be here working with you I will take all the horrible work all of this stuff that you put aside and haven't done he's like so devoted it's almost like obsessive devotion you know a little scary honestly because I think O'Brien definitely takes advantage of that in this episode and I think that this is where we have this moral gray area. Obviously it was for a huger, much bigger plot. We have, you know, the whole Prophets could die, also Keiko could die, Molly could die. Like there's so huge stakes for O'Brien and the station that like, sure, go ahead and use Rom. Like he's willing to be used, you know, and kind of he even makes himself out to be like a tool to be used by O'Brien and wants to be in a way, but also I do think, like, I'm just curious, Ashlyn, what you think about this whole sort of utilization of Rom's devotion to O'Brien. Great question. I'm pretty much with you. I think that O'Brien would never have done this. Say what you want about O'Brien. Like he's, he had some bad moments, but I don't think he would ever use Rom in this way, unless it was directly related to his wife dying, if it didn't happen. And Rom is perfect for this situation. And especially when he talks about how he got all of his tasks done so quickly. And then O'Brien kind of looks shocked and he's like, I'm so sorry. I can work slower next time. And O'Brien's like, no, 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 please. you're No, please. Agree. Like yeah. clearly you haven't learned about buffer time yet. So before yeah. you kn- you learn, I'm going to give you all this stuff to do. <laughs> also he kind of manipulates him into saying this is a really secret thing that we're doing and everybody knows but they can't talk about that they know about the mm-hmm. modifications that we're making and so you have to keep this like really quiet the thing is i think that if o'brien had told rom what was going on i know he would never dare cuz you you, you yeah. don't want to risk the life of your wife but mm-hmm. if somehow rom found out that this is why the modifications were being made, he would have been totally fine with it and would have helped Absolutely. O'Brien maybe even worked faster if he knew that Keiko's yeah. life was on the line because he's he's just that kind of perengue. He's 100%. amazing. Love Rom. And he is the only one, because of, I, think, I think O'Brien could have figured it out, but he is so focused on trying to get this done in time. He's not thinking about the like kind of wide repercussions of what will happen if these modifications are done. And Rom's like, why are we trying to kill the wormhole aliens? And O'Brien's like, Oh, and yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so I think they end up making a good team because with Ron, with Rom's like hindsight or like ability to kind of zoom out from the situation, they're able to come up with the solution that is in Keiko's parameters where it's done in time and the station is modified correctly. O'Brien doesn't lie about that. But when they go, Keiko and O'Brien eventually go into a shuttle because they're trying to go to the wormhole and like watch it die. The way that they modified, Rom and O'Brien modified the sensors is to go on Keiko specifically and flood her with like EM radiation or something that is not harmful to humans, but very harmful to the profits or to paw rates. Mm-hmm. And so this is essentially like, strips her of that and 100 percent this would not have happened without Rom and so yeah. I think yes it's not good that O'Brien did this but I think he's the perfect person for this role I think even if it was yeah. like any literally any anyone else of O'Brien's engineers this would not have gone well at all no and like we see this time and time again like Rom is willing to be thrown into the brig to, to for like what he thinks is right and what Like, O'Brien is imploring, is right, you know, and obviously he gets thrown into Brig later for like actual sabotage of. The station when the Cardassians have it, which is epic. But like, even this is really freaking epic because he doesn't talk to anyone. Like, he, I think Odo says it took thirty minutes just to get it took, his name. It took forty-five minutes for Rom to even admit that his name was Rom. Like, what a <laughs> the, legend! Oh, no. What a legend! Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I just so imagine good. Odo is in there and he's like, "So, are you saying you're not Rom?" And Rom's like, yeah. "I can neither confirm nor deny." Yeah. <laughs> What a legend! So true. Love. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I really love that. I just think this episode succeeds so much because, like you mentioned, Rihanna, we're seeing O'Brien's perspective specifically, and yeah. it's very scary. And I, it puts me in O'Brien's shoes. What would I do in this situation? How would I do anything differently? And yeah. uh, also, just puts the fear of the Paw Rates right in me. <laughs> right into you. <laughs> Which is actually perfect because we have another Paw Wraith takeover. Uh, Body takeover number two happens at the end of season six, uh, nearing the end. It's episode 21, The Reckoning, which uh, we kind of added in at the 11th hour because of Deep Space Garrick. Thank you so much for your watch list. Uh, I completely forgot about this episode, and then I saw that Jake had red eyes in the in the promo photo, and I was like, we need to watch this one. Like, Kira's, like, sizzling. Like, we need to know what's going on. Yeah, the Prophets so. definitely spoke through D-Space Garrick and uh, <laughs> yes. gave us this wonderful addition. Absolutely. So, this episode is actually more uh, grounded in, like, the spirit- spirituality of the Prophets and the Paw Wraiths and Bajoran lore in general. So there is this stone tablet tablet that has been uh, discovered that says in ancient Bajoran essentially like, come here, emissary. <laughs> like, this is for you. It says, well, it says, welcome, emissary. Oh, yeah. Not come here. <laughs> <It> says, welcome, <laughs> emissary. Touch uh, me here. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And it, like, throws him across the room after he has a vision. Like, a lot of crazy prophet stuff going on. And there is a warning on the tablet that essentially warms of Armageddon, or what they call the reckoning. So Yeah, the translation says, quote, the time of reckoning is at hand. The prophets will weep. The sorrow will consume the gateway to the temple. Which, of course, the gateway to the temple is Deep Space Nine, and so word is getting out that Armageddon's about to happen, and people are weighing in about what they think. if, if <laughs> There's, like, earthquakes on Bajor, there's tornadoes, there's, like... There's floods. An insane floods, fires, anything you can think of is happening to all of these different uh, providences and regions in... In Onbejor, and then on the station, there's also just like trembling going on because the wormhole has become unstable. I think by Cisco like activating the tablet, the prophets were like, "Everybody, wake up!" Yeah, (laughs) like and then he has this like overwhelming feeling this part actually was my favorite part of the episode um, so <laughs> cisco has been like feeling really weird about this tablet they brought it onto the station against Taiwan's behest she's really pissed and she finds out later and she's like how dare you which actually i kind of agree with like in a weird way i'm kind of like this is a very sacred thing that like has been in there for millennia and like cardassians stole most of their sacred stuff when they when the occupation happened and so they're trying to cling on to any history but I also agree with Cisco that like this needed to be studied. Clearly it's more than just a spiritual thing. Like there's actual real profit stuff going on here. Yeah, I so, I agree. This is the one episode that I actually agree with Kaiwen throughout the entire thing. Even when she kind of goes above her above Cisco's head and talks to like all of the government on Bejor and everyone agrees, even Brile to yeah. bring and they never agree on anything, but everyone Yeah after her persuasion says, yeah, you're right, we have to get the tablet back. I think also I'm a little bit, um, uh, it I'm a little bit biased because of things in the headlines recently are targeting the British Museum saying, return the artifacts that were taken during your plunder of most of the world. A lot yeah. of them were like, very sketchily taken and added to the British Museum and so I have yeah yeah, I have this like going on in the back of my head and I'm like wow Kaiwin's right like this is a very important tablet that is spiritually important to the Bajorans and even though he's the emissary like this is the line because he's not Bajoran but like you were starting to say Rihanna Sisko's having like strange strange energies (laughs) coming strange energies (laughs) coming through him Yeah, and so he goes into where the artifact is, but no one's there. And he just picks it up and smashes it against a wall. And I'm, like, cringing, because, of course, this is, like, it belongs in a museum, but not your museum. It belongs to the pejorans. I was aghast. I was shocked that he did this. Yeah, I was reeling. And so then it releases some spirits, and they float up into the conduit or whatever, and they're gone. (laughs) And then Dax... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i'm sorry so odo and dax come in later they're having like a report about it dax like so you just smashed it like he's like yeah i just had the urge to smash it and dax goes yeah i sometimes get those urges as well but i actually know how to control them <laughs> she's essentially like i control my intrusive thoughts and you clearly did not in this moment and that you dropped the ball you dropped the tablet <laughs> like the thing yeah. is it's like this is so out of character for Cisco. This is... I don't think this mm-hmm. is something that he would do if he wasn't, like, filled by the spirits, literally, right now. Because yes. he's someone who respects Bajoran culture so much. And even though he's kind of unsure of his role in it, he doesn't want to ever interfere. And he knows how important the communications are between the Bajorans and the Federation. And Wen even brings up, like, if this goes wrong we will like withdraw our application from the Federation and that could have consequences on D space nine. He could lose his job for doing this. And he's just like smash away. (laughs) Yeah. Which I mean, of course turns out to be the right choice because it releases the like profits that were like inside it or something and like begins the reckoning. (laughs) Um, And this is something that's actually really important and should have happened <sighs> Sorry, I just thought about it. if it didn't happen, like we Judzia might have still been alive. Um, but that's like for another day. Because like if you think about it, this entirety of this battle, like between the Paw Race and the Prophets, should have taken place to ultimately rid the world of the Paw Wraiths. We wouldn't have had a season seven essentially. Of course, they would have just done another plot and probably still let made Terry Farrell leave. But I'm just saying, like, from a, like, plot standpoint, like, so, there's so many deep ramifications of Kai Wen's actions at the end of this episode, so let's get into it. I just wanted to preface with that. Rihanna, you're um, making me really sad. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I make myself sad a lot, so I just, I just wanted a friend in my sadness. Oh, okay, I guess I'm your friend. I'm actually yeah. gripping Galron so he can help me yeah. through this I'm hard time. I'm holding Judzia tight, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Everyone grab your comfort action figure <laughs> yeah. We need to get through this together. (laughs) Literally. Yeah, and so let's talk about the possession elements of this episode because they're definitely the spookiest parts. Um, Once he smashes the tablet, we get a recall that Kira is electric. (laughs) She is She can feel it. Boogie, woogie, oogie. Yeah. (laughs) She knows it's there, here, there, and everywhere. Um, And inside her body. And so she's, like, standing in front of the temple, and she's got, like- uh, electricity coming out of her fingers and when she walks it's like all of the uh electricity is like popping and breaking behind her and like short-circuiting and she's like blowing every fuse as she walks by it kind of reminds me of the effects they do in supernatural with the uh the a- angels whenever they appear mm-hmm. like the uh, like electricity goes out in the room and stuff like they're just so powerfully charged energy that you're just like oh that was such an epic scene because even though I know now that she was a prophet i was worried she was possessed by the Paul wraith at first and even to show just like the awesome and terrifying power of the prophets that i was kind of scared of her even though she's quote unquote on the good side this was giving me marvel vibes extremely i was thinking about or sony because i was actually thinking about spider-man villain electro when he like blacks out all of new york city totally yeah I was like it, it, you know that meme that's been going around about like this is um, fantasy is Patrick Stewart when he's giving orders in a wheelchair and then <laughs> sci-fi is Patrick Stewart giving orders in the captain's chair <laughs> I haven't seen that That's i i know i don't think nana's in any fantasy but like nana is like <laughs> fantasies when nana is like electrocuting ds9 sci-fi <laughs> is when she's fighting fascists on bajor yes exactly oh my gosh so true so yeah we see that Kira has pretty much accepted the Prophets uh, for herself to be the vessel. Everyone else is pretty much evacuating because they think this reckoning is going to go down. They don't know who the vessel of the paw race is going to be. So then when Cisco turns around and sees Jake, his very son, like possessed by the paw race, his eyes are red and glowing and he's looking really evil and he's like kind of standing above everyone, like on the top uh, area of the promenade, that is just such a cool scene. And so well done, because we get to see Siroc Lofton really, like, show his he's uh, range. He's scary. He does a great job in this episode. I'm like, him and Brooks are, like, channeling some really cool stuff going on, because, like, both of them, when they're, like, possessed, you know, when I was talking about how scary it was when he's Drawn, it's, like, so cool to see Siroc Lofton uh, as, mm-hmm. a like, a dark paw race, essentially. Yeah, totally agree. This is devastating, though, and throughout the episode... Cisco, or maybe even Dax, someone referenced that Cisco had to pay a price for talking to the prophets to ask them to intervene during something that happened on Bajor. Oh, that's right. So, yeah, he sort of was in their debt because he helped probably, I think it was either that Klingon oh, era. close stuff. the wormhole. I think people yeah, were exactly. coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, thank you, Rihanna, jogging my memory. Mm-hmm. I kind of thought that the debt, because I didn't remember this episode at all. I thought the debt would be paid at the end of the show where Cisco has to return to the wormhole.
1: Right. I did
0: not expect the debt to be taken by using Jake as the form of the Paw Wraiths to fight Kira. It's yeah. just it's devastating. And, you know, I think that Kai Wynn's heart is stone and she's the worst character of all time. And yet, she cannot deal with this battle going down. Like, mm-hmm. I think seeing a child being possessed by the power race was just too much for her. She goes to ops, and she floods the problem with that EM radiation that doesn't hurt yeah. humans. Radiation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same thing that helped. I don't think it's EM. I might just be, like, pulling random mumbo-jumbo mm-hmm. from my brain. But she basically saves them both, and she wants a thank you, and she's proud of her actions. But, like you're saying, Rihanna, this probably needed to happen, and i I am too scared to think about like how Cisco would have gone on if Jake had been killed in this battle. Yeah, like we don't know how fierce it could have gotten. and so a part of me is like they should have just let him duke it out because we wouldn't have paw wraiths anymore. and the ramifications are so massive to the quadrant and to Cisco's intimate life and Worf's life, Judzia's life, everyone. Uh, is so affected by Kai Wynn's decision in this moment, but I think you're absolutely right. Things could have been horrible in a different way if Kira or we or if we lost Kira or Sis- or Jake. You know, like, oh, I can't even imagine. And so, what a what a difficult choice. And I am happy that Wynn did it, but I'm also very unhappy. Like, it's a it's a weird mix. Same and unexpected. I didn't think she was going to interfere at all because she's so religious and wants to. Like, follow the wills of the prophets. And this is a very clear will. The prophets want to fight the Paw Raids, you know? Yes. I was just, exactly. I was so surprised. And also, I'm glad that it puts the blame on her and not Cisco. Yeah. Oof. This he was. Did a... accept, he did accept it. He was like, if my son needs to fight, like, there's nothing I can do to stop it, which is, whoo, that's so scary. I know. But maybe yeah. he wouldn't have died. I don't know. Yeah. We don't I'm know because saying. of Kai Win. We're not sure. Yeah. So, ah, what a lasting <laughs> episode. Um, Spooky very spooky yeah I really loved those spooky scenes for sure okay we have to go to the most Paw Wraith episode of all besides the finale so yes. this is the Covenant this is uh, <laughs> someone is the leader the of the cult Paw now who do you think <laughs> yeah. could possibly be the leader of the Paw Wraiths Rihanna I'll give you one guess <laughs> uh, I think it's um, uh, Brent FCA oh my gosh you're right Rihanna <laughs> 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 you're just you're just so smart you know ds9 so well yeah i'm really good at this <laughs> i love so this is the episode where brunt starts a cult and he makes everybody pay him latinum whenever he breathes For breathing air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god why are we Sharing the same a brain. we're the same It's because we were together this weekend. We're even stronger than normal. Yeah, the brain cell is like glowing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. No, of course, everyone knows it's not Brunt. It's Goldicott. <laughs> yes, he is master of the paw rapes now. It is terrifying, uh, very disturbing all around. <laughs> the reason we find out about this is because Kira's old buddy comes the, <laughs> the station, says, I have a gift for you. She's like... So excited! So excited to see him! So excited to get this. I feel gift. like like I have Rian and I both have a um, a leader from youth group because we grew mm-hmm. up in the church and we're both not really church anymore. We're not religious. Not really, really religious, yes. but we did have like a great upbringing, and we have mm-hmm. a lot of good friends still to this day from youth group. And our youth group leader is like a fantastic person. I think yeah. one of the best people I know. and uh so I feel like this is the equivalent for Kira it's like her best friend not her best friend but like it's someone who was a real spiritual um like guide for her growing up someone who's really influential really important to her seeing him after all this time is very very special so she's she's psyched what could go wrong (laughs) she's so excited she gets this gift she unwraps it It's beams her to Empak Noor and she sees Gold Dukat. So the worst gift you could ever get, really, <laughs> is a transponder to gold Dukat. <laughs> I've never heard of anything worse, frankly. Um, and so she finds out that gold Dukat has become the leader of a Paw Wraith cult that Probably like 50 Bajorans are a part of, maybe more. It's a good number. It's very scary. <laughs> it's like a, a, like too big of a number. You know, like how cults, you're always surprised that there's more people than there should be in this cult. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's very much... Just like in general, the idea of a cult is really scary to me. Uh, We did a lot of studies in my early Romantic era literature class. We studied a lot about certain cults and how like a lot of early Romantic writers would get into them because there's something very enticing about like the way that cults are set up because it's set up as a community and a family and it's set up as a way of gathering, a way of being spiritual together in whatever way the, the leader wants them to be, but it's also about control and power and containment almost. I I can't think of another word that's better, but essentially like learning about real life cults is really scary to me because it's (laughs) kind of similar, like what we talked about with true crime, you know, where it's just like, oh my gosh, like this happens a lot more and people are indoctrined and groomed into these kind of things. And to think that so many people, Bajorans, and to think that so many Bajorans could be indoctrined by Gold Ducat like, one of the most horrific leaders of the occupation is terrifying to me. But so many Bajorans are indoctrined by Gold Dukat. The leader, one of the horrible leaders of the occupation is, like, insane and so scary. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Colts are just scary in general. Rihanna, man, I'm... I, like, we were both in San Francisco at the same time while you were learning all this scary stuff from your teachers. Yeah. <laughs> I would come home and be like weepy. I'd be like, we learned about uh, we learned about prisons in and I feel horrible. <laughs> and Ashley's like, yeah, you, you, I understand why. She's like, today I declare I'm an existentialist, and it's it's I'm still coming to terms. Like, yeah. like the world is a void and has no meaning. <laughs> That's how I feel when I look at Dukat. <laughs> like, he just yeah. is a boy. So this is the first time I believe we're seeing Gold Dukat since his hashtag murder of Gen Zia. And uh, so that's disturbing. Like, that's just Extremely like basic, basic level disturbing. And <laughs> yeah. I'm just so proud of Kira because she... <laughs> She's like, of course, not tempted to join this cult at all, like 0%. (laughs) And she is very adversarial with everyone that she meets. And she's just calling everyone out on their BS immediately. She meets this nice couple who are pregnant and having a baby. And she's like, oh, like... You're close. That's exciting. You know, she just had a baby last season, a couple seasons ago. It's very exciting. Um, and then the the father, we think, of the baby says, oh, yeah. like, uh, yeah, we're so honored that Golducott gave us permission. This is not the exact line, but. Yeah, they said we were honored because uh, they Golducott gave us permission that we need to have a baby. It's, and Kira's, like, permission, and they said, yes, you have to demonstrate a, you have to demonstrate a true marital and spiritual bond to Gold Ducott to have a baby. Crazy. Crazy, crazy. Yeah, so talk it's... Talk about, like, control right there. That's, we, like, key element. Yes, and there's, there's so many things, uh, wrong with Dukat. We, I, we yeah. talked about this <laughs> extensively in our villain series, I just am so admiring of Kira. I mentioned when we did our pumpkin carving live stream because Eli and Cosplay asked us, who, what's your favorite Kira episode? And I actually said this one because, I mean, there's so many amazing Kira episodes, but this was on my mind because of our series. I admire her unwavering hatred of Golduka and she never even is once tempted by this cult. This is my weakness. Not that I'd be <laughs> tempted by a cult. Like sometimes I look at things from different perspectives too much. And it gets like muddy and I'm like, oh, I I can see why like this type of thing would be appealing, but no, I'm not going to join the cult. And Kira, Kira doesn't even go there. And yeah. I mean, it's it's just, it's overwhelming because she's in an environment that everyone strongly and fiercely with all that they have, believes that they are doing the best thing for themselves and their family. Golducott is trying to convince her this entire episode and Kira's like, this is crazy. And I just feel like when you're against a group mentality like that, it's really hard to stay strong and to stay logical because you're being greeted and attacked by strong opinions on all front and this is this is a quote from my mom that I have to say to myself a lot you can't reason with crazy people and True. this this is what Kira is facing is she is saying all these very logical like Spock be proud like very reasonable things to these people trying to get them to see this is not okay what's going on and they all have their excuses like no it's fine. And so for me, like, this is a great spooky episode because this is real. We've talked about this before, Rihanna, but, like, a post-Trump America, to me, Mm -hmm. I see much more clearly how far people are willing to go to believe in the people that they are obsessed with, like, despite Mm -hmm. any kind of facts, you know, being presented. (laughs) There are extremists on every side, and even these peace-loving Bajorans believe that the head of... (laughs) the occupation could have changed his mind and he's now trying to save Bajorans is insane. So to me, that's the real, I mean, yeah, there's Golducott does some terrifying things in this episode, but to me, that's the thing I really take away is yikes. Like Golducott, we know is a terrible person, but there are so many people following him and that's deeply disturbing to me. Thank you so much for your amazing words, Ashlyn. I feel too, like you were saying earlier, how, they're all so obsessed and dedicated to Gold Ducat's cause and to the paw Wraiths and this cult that it, Kira even points out like it sounds like you're trying to convince yourself, you know, and I think that that is a lot of cult behavior, you know, and a lot of people who are in Doctrine is there's a part of them that knows that this is not what I should be doing, but they have to believe so strongly in order for any of this to hold up or it's just going to all come crashing down like we see in the end here. Okay, let's talk about the suicide scene. <laughs> <laughs> the, the near uh, the near attempt here. So I think, you know, just blanket trigger warning uh, about this entire episode, about Goldukat in general, you know? Like, we all know how awful he is. Um, but particularly for this last scene, because there's this whole scandal that when the baby is born from the, this two couple, uh, it's a Cardassian and Bajoran baby. And so it's very clear that Goldukat had an affair with this woman. He sort of trademarks the baby as like a like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as a like paw wraith like sign that he was supposed to be the leader and I think again the like way that the entire cult is able to just accept this is exactly what we were discussing earlier like they're trying way too hard to believe it because the alternative of him being a horrible liar is like way more uh damaging to them you know and so they're willing to just believe a crazy story about this a quote-unquote miracle baby instead of believing the charred facts and the likely truth that is in front of them. Because we know that he has a desire, well, Dukat has a desire to be loved by Bajorans, and I think particularly, sadly, Bajoran women, his, like, fixation on them during the occupation is anything to go by. And so Kira brings up a really good point. Like, you've always just wanted their love and devotion. Don't you see that they won't love you if you act like this, like, if you control them? And in them. It's not love. It's just grooming, power you know? and grooming. Yeah, there's a, there's a difference, and it's a really scary difference. And I think everyone is susceptible to to it and can be. And that's what makes cults so scary. Is that like any one of us could fall into it in the right circumstances and the right person. You know, I mean, even if you think about like early Hitler was like so charismatic that like he sort of started his own little cult. You know, and then became much more terrifying and tyrannical and all of the above but the really important and scary scene is when Kira takes the phaser from one of the people and is ready to shoot Dukat and people just start getting in front of him and protecting him and that like to see a Bajoran like protecting Dukat like that is really scary um and just to show how far gone these cult members are. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yes it's my response to that yeah yes to all i'm very scared i also hate how quickly golducott comes up with the solution saying that oh this baby isn't a half cardassian because i took advantage of the mother mm. it's because the, the paw wraiths have blessed us with a sign like Ugh, yeah it's crazy but it's crazy and people Totally are fine with it. I think the father of the quote unquote he knows father yeah. he is starting to really turn his head and he's really questioning what's going on. Uh, and then it becomes obvious. Like if you had as a viewer any qualms, thinking maybe Golducott has turned a corner, maybe he's a born again Bajoran, <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe the paw rates are actually like guiding the Bajorans to peace and love. It's just all like brought, it's all torn apart because of Golducott's actions. And he tries to murder the mother of the baby because she's going to, he's worried. She's going to start talking about the literal sex they had (laughs) to make this baby. And Mm -hmm. then he's like, well, before she could tell anyone, because she survives this like murder attempt because of Kira, which like, that's, I mean, I don't want to say that's my goal in life, but that's like the kind of like. Person I strive to be is like prevent murder. Yeah, <laughs> um, his subjects by a cult, cult leader, victim. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so because of Kira, she saved, but she could wake up out of her coma like anytime. time. And so <laughs> Ducat's like, "Let's all drink the Kool Aid. Let's go." Yeah, uh, I mean, literally. Like you're not even wrong about that analogy or that example. I mean, that's yeah. exactly like yeah. We we which I'm sure they were taking from that. Oh, you know? for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I thought it was satisfying. It had to be satisfying for Kira because, well, obviously, it's satisfying for everyone watching this, yeah. like, fall of Dukat. But mm-hmm. Kira does say something during the episode. I think it's when her and Dukat are having a conversation kind of in the middle of the episode where he's like, you can't kill me. You tried just now to kill me, but all, mm-hmm. the, all of my followers protected me. And if you did kill me, you'd make me a martyr. And Kira's yeah. like, yeah, and also I don't want to kill you until – like everything you've done becomes apparent and they see the kind of monster you truly are and so Kira gets her wish and it's beautiful to see. (laughs) She gets her wish by jumping on top of Ducat from that upper ring area like (laughs) that is the most epic thing and knocking down the bowl of pills so he can't find his special placebo pill um that's not like that fast acting poison um and so like I, I, the scene before, too, when Dukat is consulting the orb, the Paw Wraith orb or whatever, he's like, please guide me. He's, like, manipulating the Paw wraith themselves, you know, he's like, <laughs> um, he's like, please, like, if you want your celestial temple, you're gonna have to tell me what to do. And he's, I'm like, oh my god, how evil are you if you're trying to manipulate the devils? But then, you know, yeah, he's found out, and of course they're outraged, and they're throwing the pills at him and everything, and uh, this cult easily breaks apart once he's he's outed. And I just, you know, like all of this is really just screams to me, like, cause he's so he, craving all these years, craving the love and affection and control and power over Bajorans. Like, bro, we get it. You weren't loved as much as a child. We understand, like, do not take it out on these people. You know, like it's clear that, that he's got such bigger, deep issues of like having no love in his life that he's trying to find it from like these horrible places. And that's another like, very, just very spooky, Dukat spooky element for sure I think also he has always thought of himself as a god because of the power mm-hmm. that he has in the occupation and so the fact that he's so connected to the paw rates and has this so-called like insight and like is being guided by something that is bigger than all of them he- his ego is perfectly soothed by this situation this is like Ducat's dream job yeah. as a cult leader, you know? Yeah. This is what he's been wanting his whole life. <laughs> you're so, you're so right. Wow. Absolutely. It's awful. I hate it. It's him. really awful. I like love, he's like, I love to hate him because he's yeah. so evil. There's no redeeming qualities about him. <laughs> yeah. He's just an amazing character to watch on the screen. <laughs> yeah. And great for these scary episodes because he always brings the scariness. Yes. Oh my gosh. She's going to continue to bring, actually, <laughs> in the following episode we will discuss in our murder section. <laughs> the, yeah, okay, so now we're entering murder, and of course Gul has to appear. Um, we are going to be talking about things past. You might be surprised Odo also appears in this murder episode. I was really hesitant. This is another one that Rihanna kind of persuaded me to add to the watch list because... It's not necessarily spooky like cat's paw. You know, it's, yeah. it's not a let's go trick-or-treating with Spock episode. This mm-hmm. is a deeply disturbing episode yeah. from the bowels of the occupation. Mm-hmm. And ugh, DS9 just knows how to really, like, hurt you. <laughs> yeah, they do not pull their punches. And I think this is something that makes their scary episodes very successful is because you can tell they're not tiptoeing around any subjects. And... Uh, I know that Wrongs Darker Than Death or Night was on Deep Space Garrick's uh, 31-day list and that one you know is also a very good indication of like the horrors of the occupation and the non-trigger codingness of the writers and stuff but I think this one speaks more to the horrors within us you know and that's why I really wanted to talk about it uh, particularly investigating Odo's uh, involvement in this and so let me just give a quick quick summary So for people who do not remember, there was a lovely (laughs) little journey that they're coming back from in the Rio Grande, I think it is. It's uh, yes, it's Garrick, it's Odo, it's Cisco and it's Dax, a a really interesting group of people um, coming back from like a survey mission or something. And as they're coming back through the wormhole their minds are transported back in time but not their bodies so we did actually discuss this for Typical. our time travel yeah <laughs> yeah we discussed this for our time travel series uh because it was kind of a prophet's like teaching odo his journey i guess you know sort of like they're like the moral story is <laughs> all kind of, of the thing. all of the ds9 time travel episodes are mostly orb related so totally yeah you gotta expect yes. some time travel when you see an orb Oh, absolutely. Even if it's not the time orb, (laughs) you're still going to see some. Very important fact. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, crazy. So I really think this is a fascinating plot because then it situates. so it puts our characters into like essentially where people think that they are different people. They think that they're Bajorans and they are actually on formerly Terok presently Deep Space Nine, uh, As it was during the occupation, and as it was during Odo's uh, sort of beginning of his time as the chief of security aboard the station. Yeah, well, and I thought it was interesting, because at first, Odo, or I think it is Odo, says, oh, it was nine years ago. Mm -hmm. Odo joined seven years ago, and Odo, once he hears the names of all, like, the people that Cisco and Dax and Garrick have assumed mm-hmm. that have been like given to them. He knows the situation. He knows who he is, and he knows what's going on. But he purposefully lies and says mm-hmm. this was nine years ago. Really, it was seven years ago, and it was his the start of his time at yeah. uh, not Mpachnor, at Tarknor at So that yes. was something I didn't catch till the end of the episode, uh, and it leaves you not really thinking about odo this whole time it's curious mm-hmm. that like you're trying to understand why he has this knowledge of all the bajoran prisoners but it's never really brought up until the end yeah and we can see that odo's clearly shaken and hiding something and so the the, the key spooky ele- wow sorry the key spooky elements to this episode really come from Odo's perspective. We get I think a great, because I think Deep Space Nine is great with point of view where it is pretty roaming um, and we get a lot of different perspectives from all our favorite characters and so this one while it has elements of what we get to see elements of what Odo's seeing, we're also still uncovering with the rest of the group what is going on because Dax is taken by Dukat and he's doing some like gross things you know like he did with a lot of women just trying to make them love him and all this stuff and While that's happening, um, there's like a plot to assassinate Ducat and they get caught up in it. And this is when of course Odo is realizing these are the people that I sentenced to death that were wrongly convicted and they died innocent. Of course, like even dying quote unquote guilty in this situation is still dying unjustly because it's under occupation. So we have to keep that in mind. But like, even so, this is even worse for Odo because he holds the law above everything else, above politics, above like, he holds like security, safety, what the rule of law is over everything else, which can be a really dangerous mentality in a situation like this, where he's starting out and just wanting to have someone be guilty and have it be over and done with. there was a lot of pressuring from other characters to have him do this, but I I just do want to preface with this. Like we're starting to understand more as the plot goes along that Odo was having an involvement with it and he's having immense guilt about this. And he's seeing images of these people that were executed and seeing like into sort of thinking that they're there and he's essentially seeing ghosts. And so that part is so freaky in the episode when he turns around and it's like, that person is like really bloody, they've been like shot or something and uh, just staring at him and glaring. And and then you see that no one else sees this person, you know, you're like, but like, we're all having, they're all having this like shared hallucination, but Odo is clearly seeing something different. And so it puts me on edge. Amazing explanation of all this. For me, like, yeah, this is the scariest part of these of this episode is Odo's hallucinations, especially they get down to the nitty gritty of how the Bajoran resistance is operating. And basically, you have to like turn a cup upside down on a table or a pot or something. And then the resistance member will come and talk to you and be like, hey, what's up? Like, what issue do you want to bring, bro? Yeah. And... When, like, that's all happening and then Odo at one point is, like, freaking out because he sees blood on his hands mm. while he's sitting at the table and he's, like, hyperventilating and, like, oh my god. And it looks like he's mm-hmm. murdered someone, but he's the only one who can see that. And those type of images, yeah, that's, that's what haunts me in this one. Also, yeah. I mean, after seeing this, I know that Kira wasn't in this shared hallucination, but I feel like yeah. if she was, she would consider odo a collaborator just as much as she considers her mother to be a collaborator
1: mm-hmm. and
0: the guy in duet to be a collaborator um yeah i like some of her old pals kira yeah. hates collaborators and yeah i just don't think they would ever develop a relationship if she saw him in this light probably he told her about it and i i mean we all make mistakes and he is like a baby changeling who yeah. has grown up like indoctrinated by the law and thinks that everything that's going on like is sanctioned and is correct and is like holy almost you know like he he really yeah. worships um like being a like ds9 policeman you know yeah it's, i think it's a testament to like him having nothing else to cling on to yeah exactly so as much as i have issues with odo i also understand that He is a baby. He's a baby boy. And he's not seen much of the world. You know, he grew up in this tiny corner. And so having to make this decision like, oh, do I go along with the Cardassians who could murder me? Or do I execute these Bajoran traitors because they seem guilty? It's an easy choice to make in the moment. And of course, we know he's struggling with that decision probably every day. Yeah, episode is continuing on. We see that they are thrown into the brig, they're deciding if uh, they're guilty, sorry, they being the Cardassian who's supposedly the security officer on the station, but we all know it's Odo. Uh, They replaced it with someone who was his predecessor, for this memory, for Odo's little uh, moral journey here. Moral shenanigans, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) and uh, he is yelling at the security officer saying like, look at the evidence like we weren't even there at the time like we've only been transferred three weeks ago like literally all the evidence is right in front of you you just have to dig and look for it and so it really shows that odo in his time he's pretty much yelling at his past self saying why didn't you look for stronger evidence why did you just like assume they were guilty and i think it is it's the indoctrination of cardassians you know like and the rhetoric about bajorans being like thieves and liars and lesser than and all this kind of rhetoric that people use to demoralize or uh, justify their wars. You know, we, we talked about this actually extensively in our Twilight Zones. Uh, Randomly? Randomly. <laughs> That's so cool. Check out our YouTube. I find. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Ashley. <laughs> I love when I find parallels of like the most random parts of our episodes, but there is so much going on, and I can't just outwardly be furious at Odo because I understand the circumstances, but I can easily see. That he has so much growing to do even now if like (laughs) coming from that point you know and and not that he's irredeemable but it just makes me question a lot more of his decisions and we even discussed this in our very first episode of Deep Space Nine about the ethics of Odo and how he's like low-key using like surveillance on everybody and like really (laughs) sketchy stuff that like you know can fall into being like a terrible anyway I'm not gonna go off on no back. no I I know yeah. what you're saying and especially because we just came from talking about Dukat as a cult member or as yeah. a cult leader mm-hmm. I think yeah. we can't remember <laughs> dis- yeah we can't dismiss the allure and the power that gold Dukat has and he must have just given off at the station like you don't want to F with Gold Ducat and mm-hmm. he can be so convincing and he can be so charming yeah. <laughs> as, as many problems as I have with Odo. I understand his perspective and I can forgive him from this episode, but like yeah. I said, I don't know if Kira oh, would. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Ashlyn, you reminded me too that Gold Ducat has this really powerful allure, but I think also the position of being security officer aboard a station has a very powerful allure as well and it takes me back to my like psychology AP psych days where like we learned about the Zimbardo prison experiment where some members were some members of the class were set up to be prisoners and some were set up to be prison guards and how the guards started acting like terribly to them by like day two because the power went to their heads and even though they've never been a prison guard in their life they're all like college students Um, it became like this really dark twisted experiment because like the power dynamics shifted so abruptly that like they this prison guards immediately put themselves ahead of the prisoners and started demoralizing and degrading and all of this stuff. And so it shows you how quickly that can occur. And so a changeling who's very barely experienced life is very allured by the fact that like he can now have all this power. But like, I think the most beautiful scene and horrifying scene of the entire thing is the very very nearing the end of the episode, where uh, everyone thinks they're about to get executed, our characters think that, and then a gun goes off, um, nothing happens, they're still alive, then they look over at a, um, like an upper deck, like, just right across the way, and they see the other members the actual people of that time getting executed and Odo just standing over their bodies like he didn't pull the trigger but he did you know and that's when of course all the clarity comes to life and that's why this is in the murder section (laughs) yeah there it is yeah you might be confused but there it is uh Odo is definitely culpable in this situation and so is like you know yeah we all said it yeah that was chilling thank you Rihanna for that great description also I don't know if this is an ad for the University of San Francisco like <laughs> or if it's like a a negative ad <laughs> but like we're getting a lot of insight into your education and i'm both scared and impressed by the depth at which you were educated yeah usf really taught us like social justice so we learned quite a lot about like the atrocities of the world i took a querying religion class which was devastating every day but really beautiful <laughs> um so i learned a lot but i'm also a little sadder which you know happens when you learn more about the world um well it's way more complex yeah. it's not yes. nothing's black and white nothing's at all black and white it's all sad in some way yeah we're all just a little sad all the time as elnor shellstrop says so you know it's all good and now should we talk about some more murder (laughs) yeah let's keep digging deep into the murder um this is kind of what we've been talking about the whole time this is facets now so yeah i love this episode because dax gets to go investigate all of her previous Trill hosts. And mm. man, I would die for this kind of um, investigation, like, in Discovery. Like, I hope Adira yes, please, gets please. to do this thing. They say season five is supposed to be uh, a fun Yeah, <laughs> well, maybe a little more episodic, hopefully. So I'm asking for, like, all of Adira's hosts to be transformed into the bodies of the Discovery crew. Please, please. I think please. that's the dream. Facets part two, please. Basically, that's what happens in this DS9 episode. And the part we're specifically talking about is what Rihanna has been like, <laughs> proclaiming to be a godly, which I agree with. Yes. Uh, this is when Cisco uh, <laughs> gets to so uh, gets to host the body of Joran, which is Dax's like murderous, also low key trend setting host <laughs> of a trill. Because before Joran took um, was able to like take care of the ho- take care of the symbiote. It was kind of believed widely on the planet trail that only hosts who had gone through extensive training and gone through school and had like worked really hard their whole lives ha- were able to be hosts and perfectly mm-hmm. um, like help out the symbiont. Like the symbiont chooses you kind of as well, like if you're ready for it. Exactly. But that's a complete lie. And this is a different episode, but I just thought it was worth mentioning because... We find out that Joran took control of the Dax symbiont because he just happened to be uh, right place, right time. There was an accident. Right nice. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> bad joke, bad joke. Irina, do you want to talk about the story? <laughs> Since you're just so, uh, you feel so comfortable making these terrible, <laughs> wrong place, wrong terrible time, wrong wrong jokes. wrong joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, go on. You're doing great, Ashlyn. I just, I'm just going to keep uh, chiming in some crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah. But basically, like he, it, it's the same, it's the thing that always happens. Like there's a shuttle accident and then they're yeah. like, oh, the symbiont's in danger, but we have to keep it alive because it has like eight past lives in it Mm -hmm. uh so who's the nearest person to get the symbiont oh it's uh (laughs) it's the murderer (laughs) it's this guy um and then he becomes a murderer because of that yep yeah woo yeah it's true yeah like he he refuses to give it up he like pretty much like smuggles the trill symbiont smuggles the dax symbiont for six months or something before people track him down he's killed some people so this is a really traumatic event for the future host to have to experience. And so we learn that Curzon pretty much just suppressed him. Um and it was right tried before do the same. Curzon, yeah, right? I'd suppress that shit. I know too, that's really that recent. Like Cisco yeah. loves Curzon. <laughs> yeah. Curzon. Uh, yeah. Oh, I always think of kuzad who's egg's best friend from childhood, so like, you know, it's tough. Okay, you C C O Cusco Cusco. Let's go. go, go. <laughs> <laughs> Wild. Sorry to bring the Emperor's new groove into this. I uh, no, didn't really mean to. It's great. Great show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> great spinoff. So Dax has to meet all our hosts and Cisco decides to take on Joran. I think <laughs> this is the best choice though. You yeah. know, like he knows Curzon, like we mentioned, he probably, I'm sure Curzon had just. Dis- I mean, they didn't really, they don't talk about Joran, but I'm sure that like, if they had Cisco would have been just as supportive as he is now with Jodzia. And so they put him in a holding cell and that transformation that, avery brooks does is like shivers up my spine you know like i'm just feeling terrified because one minute it's our sweet amazing powerful cisco and the next it's like murder scary dax (laughs) you know like it's just he's not there's not even a trace of benjamin left it's so scary and like they go through this whole charade and I know it's not really a charade but like yeah. when Jadzia is talking to all the people that she wants to host the hosts <laughs> um, she says like you will be in control the entire time and you can overpower the personality of the symbiont if you wish. And so we go into the situation knowing okay yeah Cisco's gonna be possessed by like this crazy murderer but he'll be in control. And the thing that Happens is that Joran is severely underestimated, and once he becomes really excitable as cisco he well he's trying to say like just lower the force field let me like give you a little hug you know like it's gonna be yeah. fine and so when Judzi is like um no i'm smarter than you i'm not gonna let that happen he then kind of uses the same type of blackmail that keiko uses against o'brien because mm-hmm. he starts banging his head against the force field and he's like haha i'm gonna like electrocute cisco if you don't yeah. raise the field so it happens and and Jazzy is shouting like like get control get control Cisco come on like come on back to me and so he does i don't actually i don't actually think he does the first time i think mm-hmm. Duran pretends to be he Cisco does. and yeah. take take control back from him and so he totally convinces Judzia that like oh it's Cisco like it's fine i'm in control yeah. don't worry about it and this whole this whole situation is terrifying <laughs> oh my god it's so scary because there's such a different way that Brooks plays Actual Cisco, actual Duran, and then Duran pretending to be Cisco. You know, it's like all three different people in like the span of five minutes. I was so scared. You know, I'm like, something's not right. This isn't our Cisco. Maybe he's just still reeling from that. And then he chokes Judzia and he's like, you let your guard down or something like that. And as he's talking to her while he's still in the brig, Duran is saying, like, you're so beautiful, but non deserving of this. Like, that's all you are is beautiful and that's it. And totally making these snap judgments about her being just horrible. And then he says, like, just put down the force field and I'll end your uh, fear permanently, essentially. Like, he's ready to kill her and he immediately tries, you know. And so then Jazia luckily has amazing combat training and she, like, kicks his butt. And, Easily. I was so yeah. proud of her. Yeah, it's Easily. not even a question. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, luckily it's not like a... Uh, control bug situation where he's a lot stronger in Cisco's body or something, so Cisco goes down pretty quickly, and then you can tell like, okay, this is our actual Cisco. He's like, Phew. <laughs> you know, right away I'm like, yeah, that's that's Ben, <laughs> like, you know, he's just like, oh, that was that was crazy. Anyway, thanks for not breaking my ribs. Like, just immediately back to Ben, and then like, it's just really interesting to see this scene though because of how much it changes in these couple minutes. Yeah, I totally agree, Rihanna. I also just have to shout out, as usual, the music this entire time.
1: Terrifying.
0: Very scary. Also, I really get Hannibal Lecter vibes because he's behind the... Like, he's in the break. He's behind the screen. He's playing deeply on Jetsy's insecurities. And what he says in this scene goes on to kind of torture her for the rest of the Mm -hmm. episode. And she has this confrontation with Curzon and, Mm -hmm. you know... Am I really, like, was I really the one chosen for this position? Or was it because, like, you thought I was hot? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he was, like, attracted to her. Yeah, creepy. And, like, Dax is, like, Jadzia Dax is one of the most confident characters I've ever laid eyes on. And so to see her in this episode shaken, you know that it's serious. Like, only someone like Duran could get to the core of her. Which is exactly what happens, yet again, to another host in Field of Fire. <laughs> oh jeez! Like, yeah. <laughs> almost exactly, but we get a deeper look into this. And, wow, do I love this episode. I will say that I am, like, I'm, I'm not super interested in watching season 7 because Judsy is my favorite. I have so much, like, pain in my heart still about her death and about Terry Farrell's departure and Rick Berman in general (laughs) that I grudge I don't think I'll ever quite be rid of and that often makes me not want to watch Esri episodes which is such a shame because now when I go back to watch them with a clearer eye and not with like an informed like me just crying like five episodes earlier or thirteen episodes earlier even (laughs) about her death I feel much better and I'm really appreciating Esri as a character more and she just is absolutely phenomenal in this episode really really great episode I blocked out i had no memory of this episode same i really love the beginning because i think it does a good job setting up all the different players in this episode so we have don't know his name what's the guy's name who like was the hero of the defiant Um, my baby boy oh i knew he was gonna not last i know it's so sad (laughs) (laughs) he has death vibes all around him lieutenant hector it's I-L-A-R-I-O, Ilaro? Ilaro. Yeah, so we start out with Lieutenant Ilaro and uh, Bashir gives like a drunken speech about how <laughs> he was the hero of the Defiant and he was able to pilot up to safety and like basically save the day. This is a character we've never seen before, a very red shirt <laughs> energy. And totally. he like weirdly hits on Ezri when she like walks him back to his quarters which, like, okay. Like, she's cute. Sure. It's fine. Yeah. But also, I don't like it. The next morning, we find out he's murdered. <laughs> Poor guy. Not just murdered, he's shot in the heart by, like, projectile weapon, which, like, a gun. They don't use those anymore. Yeah. They use phasers and, like, energy weapons. It's really strange. And right away, I'm thinking, because this lieutenant asked to join in O'Brien and Bashir's, like, m- parades on the holodeck, which they, like, do a lot of, like, fun war games. Uh, Right away, I'm like, um, did Bashir kill him for (laughs) asking to join in their holodeck adventures? The way (laughs) they looked at them. I'm like, if he were possessed, he would have. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, son. Changeling Bashir just got off. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so then the rest of the episode, you know, like, it's crazy because Esri was only there 10 minutes before his demise. So that's really creepy, first of all. And then more and more people keep getting murdered and Esri is really starting to freak out. Yeah. Because she's asked to sort of take point on this investigation, to uh, work with Odo. I think because she has this empathetic side, it's kind of like how they just elect Troy to do a lot of this investigating. I mean, she's the counselor. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Like it really, she can get into the psyche of people and that's why we have behavioral investigators and stuff as well. So she's really great in this role. She's total in scientist mode. Um, just trying to figure out what's going on and she's realizing that more and more murders are happening and there's just no connection like they all some were married some had nobody like some were blah 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 like there's just so different ages different everything but it's definitely like a starfleet weapon and they figured out what the weapon is it's this like terrifying weapon that you can like shoot through the walls but it doesn't actually go through the wall it like you can appears. beam you can yeah. beam the bullet like to different yeah. rooms <laughs> like, that's absolutely terrifying. And it also has this scope so you can like spy on people and like find your target through any kind of bulkhead, any kind of wall. Just even that kind of stalkingness really reminds me of like Psycho or a lot of Hitchcock movies where you're seeing from the perspective of the killer, like them stalking someone. And that's just a really scary concept to me. Yeah, exactly. And it, it also is reminding me of an episode we already talked about, the very first one, Adversary with the Changeling, because this is another like type of mind games episode where you're not really sure what's going on. Esri's having these terrifying dreams and Ooh. like visions. It, <laughs> because like you said, Rihanna, it is a Starfleet weapon, and the only people who have access to these lockers are Starfleet personnel. So on a station like DS9, there's so many civilians going in and out it's kind of like, yeah, it could be anybody, but once they narrow mm-hmm. it down that, like, this is a Starfleet thing, it gets really scary. And I think Cisco even says, like, a, a terrifying thought. Absolutely, because, yeah, we're, we're questioning everything now, and your whole ground is shaken. This is when Esri decides that she's in over her head, can't figure out anything, can't get any closer to the truth, I should say. And so she calls upon Dax using some crazy trill science cool stuff where you can like take one of your previous hosts and put them essentially like into your the forefront of your mind. And so then you see them. No one else sees or hears them. But you see and hear them. You get to talk with them as if they're actually there. And so she calls to him using like, you know, whatever. She's speaking trill and she's just calling to him and then his face appears in the mirror where hers is and I just I love this I love the like image of that you know a, a way to portray it to the audience you know is so cool yeah I, I totally agree perfect way to portray it the <laughs> every every time Esri like interacts because she ends up interacting with Duran she's like imagining him with him for the duration like the entire rest of the episode and he, mm-hmm. we see him totally manipulating her totally telling her like how to behave and how to perform to to catch this guy and and just like you know hey you should murder him you know like just follow your instincts it's very scary and I don't like it (laughs) yeah even when he emerges she says like oh like now you're with me and he says I am within you Esri all the time you know and oh that's just scary and especially because she mentions that Judzia and Curzon both repressed him and just really like really didn't think about him, shoved down a lot of those memories and everything, and so she can't do this because she needs his help, and so she has to face this. Again, like with Garrick facing his fears, just head-on. is so impressive. And so she finds the weapon, and he exactly, like you said, Ashlyn is trying to make her pick a target, you know, essentially. And she's showing, like, he's saying, get into the mind of the killer and really investigate what they would be thinking she is using the scope to spy on people and to pick a target essentially and like she almost pulls the trigger but of course is like no she's like shut sets it down and he's like haha it wasn't loaded like it would have been fine it's just this continuous Ugh. manipulation like that is yeah exactly very Hannibal Lecter-esque it's really creepy yeah it really comes to a head because they're like targeting this Vulcan who is, you know, no one suspects the Vulcan. And I thought the scene, like, right at the end of the episode was really striking, literally, because she has, like, this special, like, like you're saying, this eye scanner thing where she can, like, Mm -hmm. look through walls, and she's walking down the corridor. She sees everybody, like, doing their thing, and then she sees this Vulcan, and he ends up, like, bringing up his weapon, and he is the eye scanner, too. And she shoots just seconds before he shoots and barely misses her. Like it hits the yeah. wall. And so this is not like Esri dreaming or mm-hmm. like this, is this is reality. And she almost died, but she yeah. pulled the trigger in time to save herself and, uh, yeah. And uh-huh. she didn't kill him, you know, no. all while not yeah. killing him. Exactly. And still remaining true to herself and yes. not letting Jaron win, you know? Yeah, and it, it just is terrible. Yeah, because this Vulcan, turns out the reason he's killing is because everyone has pictures of, like, smiling faces and laughter and everything. And he had just lost, like, an entire crew during the war. And so he was, like, one of the only survivors. And so it's just, like, a really great story to have... Ezri and Joran investigate together and then of course she has to get rid of him and he says to her you won't be able to forget me which is chilling such a great line to sort of depart on like he's just like drop that mic <laughs> get out of there yeah the only silver lining I can think is at least one host is processing yeah this side of <laughs> Joran because it's, it's gonna be really helpful for the future it's not good to keep you're demon suppressed. So yeah, it's true. Yeah. All right, Rihanna. Well, it's time to go on to the final section of the podcast. And this is madness of O'Brien et al. So yeah, um, we've got this... more than one, more than one person who's delving into their madness. Exactly. We're going to start with O'Brien in the episode whispers. And this is a awesome episode. I completely had forgotten about it. It's in mid season two. O'Brien comes back from a mission he's on his shuttle and I love how it starts because it's like future O'Brien narrating in a cap in a personal log about what's going on he's like I have to get this story straight because stuff's about to go down yeah I'm, I'm wondering about that for you Ashlyn um how do you feel about this type of storytelling especially in a spooky element because like relaying the events you know in this manner what makes this like more spooky or less spooky for you uh, I like it because it's. I'm saying this in a Star Trek specific way yeah, because yeah. that's what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, it's great because it breaks up the episodes really nicely. Because there's oh, always the same format over and over again, where it's like Captain Slug, here's the situation. But this is O'Brien giving a personal log, so it, like it's different yeah. enough, and also it's somewhere in the future. It sets the precedent, like O'Brien is somehow gonna be away from New Space Nine because of some very like sketchy evidence or like something weird that happened in the episode. So I'm, I'm intrigued. I want to know more. And for me in general, I think that's a pretty successful trope. It's very common where it's like, how did I end up like this? Because as yeah. <laughs> you're learning everything that goes on something in the back of your mind is still saying so why was O'Brien in that shuttle you know you're still waiting Mm -hmm. for that to happen for me I think it's great and also it's a perfect guide through all of the commercial breaks you know he can just repeat the he's like computer repeat the last line of the log and they literally literally do that that. after a commercial (laughs) break it was amazing yeah Rihanna did you have any thoughts about the intro yeah I think I tend to like this type of storytelling. I think from a spooky standpoint though, it kind of, um, I mean, it definitely puts me on guard right away, but it also I think takes away some of the mystery because if I were watching the following scenes without getting this opening um, dialogue from O'Brien, or this monologue from O'Brien, I wouldn't be looking for anything out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. And so I'd have to come to the conclusions myself. So it feels a little handholdy for a spooky episode. But I also get why because then I am on the edge of my seat already looking for stuff and clues. But I would rather grow into my suspicion like O'Brien does, you know, like, oh, he's act, oh, Keiko's acting weird. Oh, Cisco's acting weird. He's lying about Jake. Something's going on and it would snowball into something deeper. So that's my only thing. I would argue that they chose this because I'm, I'm going to say right now, the end of the episode we find out that this O'Brien we've been following this entire time who's giving the personal log is a clone. Yeah, He's not even the real O'Brien. And so I think it's done very purposefully that the writers want us to see clone O'Brien's perspective. Mm-hmm. And because the experience that he has throughout the episode, we're going to see everybody's acting strange, like Rihanna said. And I'm on O'Brien's side the entire time. And I think, well there's not something wrong with me. There's something wrong with the universe. I'm very like Beverly Crusher. Remember me in this episode. Like I'm on O'Brien's side. Everyone's acting very sketchily. And so I have to take this into my own hands and save the station myself. So I like having not really remember this episode, I was fully on O'Brien's side and I, I was so distrusting of everyone because they're acting so strange towards him. Wow, that's such a good point. I'm, I'm, like, low-key convinced more. The introduction is crazy because mostly whenever there's conflicts between O'Brien and Keiko, I feel like it's O'Brien's fault. And so it's weird to see that Keiko's up super early at 5 a.m. And she has Molly ready and she's already going to school. And she's giving O'Brien these, like, really lame excuses. Yeah. And he's like, what is happening? Like, that's super weird. We find out later that she was even lying about why she was up so early. It's because she wanted to talk to Cisco. We see them talking. Cisco keeps interrupting O'Brien's flow of work. You know, he's like, don't work on this. I want you to work on the pylons, which is something that is like kind of out of the way of what's actually going on. And the whole situation is centered around, what is it? The paraxes or something? Parada. Thank you. The parada. Yeah. So from O'Brien's perspective, the whole time we think that the DS nine crew is possessed and are trying to get as much information about the Parada security system, because that's where O'Brien just came from on the shuttle. And even when Odo comes on, like there's this whole fight that O'Brien gets into with one of his engineering men. Cause he says, why did you start working on this without me? Because I was waiting until Odo got back because he would have something to say about the security. And when Odo gets back, initially you think, oh, Brian and Odo, like they're on the same side. Odo's clearly mm-hmm. not corrupted. But then after Odo talks to Cisco, he is completely different. He's withholding information and he seems like he's also possessed. So, yes. Yeah. I just think this is an awesome episode. And the, f- the kind of death fake out we-, we get at the end is crazy. Yeah. Because it turns out that. Um, o'brien was cloned by the parada and he was sent as a spy and we don't know what he would have done in order to compromise like d space nine and everything but he's uh, like a sleeper agent almost he's a sleeper agent yeah it i mean i was just so convinced the entire time that it was o'brien because he was acting exactly like o'brien would act Our real o'brien has been like in a holding cell like similar to bashir you know it's just so crazy yeah so good yeah yeah great episode uh very spooky yeah Um, I think let's go on to another O'Brien episode, which is what I talked about at the beginning. This is a hard time. Very hard. Um, This, again, it's not... Like, it is a spooky episode. The basic plot is that O'Brien has been falsely accused of a crime, and this alien species, the way that they carry out prison, is they just give you a mental prison, (laughs) and it feels like like years. So for O'Brien, it feels like 20 years has passed, and really... Um, it's only been a couple hours, but he's lived this entire life and he imagined yeah. like uh, like the way that Bashir describes it is like extremely immersive. Like the way that O'Brien behaved during his time in the prison, like it all directly connected to everything. And so every choice that he made was important. And it all had an outcome. It wasn't, like, a holodeck adventure that was pre-planned. It, like, went along with whatever he was imagining. So O'Brien has imagined this, like, really good friend that he had the entire time, except for the past, like, except for the last two weeks. And this friend is haunting him. Because once they release O'Brien, which happens at the very beginning of the episode, he's Mm returned to Space Nine. And he's having extremely, an extremely hard time trying to fit back into society because he feels like he's been gone for 20 years. Yeah, complete breakdown essentially is what he's having, understandably, especially since he's created this person and we learned that he thought that he killed his friend for food, but turns out he was hiding food for both of them because the guards just like wouldn't feed them for like days on end, like whenever they had a whim or whatever. That's what he's most terrified of this episode is that he has sort of become a killer or that this place has made him a killer. And I think that that is really horrible for him because he also is, like, nearly hits Molly at one point because, or at least gets in her face and, like, yells a little bit and Keiko has to, like, push him back. He's so overwhelmed and she's just like, hey, like, come draw with me or whatever. And he's literally traumatized and not seeing a therapist. He's supposed to be seeing a counselor, like, three times a week and he's not going. Probably went to one or two sessions and just, like, try to get another one. or just keep pushing him to go to the same one. It's probably, you know, like he needs someone better, but he just needs more help than he's getting. But yeah, I just think it's so horrible, this uh, torture situation. It's really is torture, you know, it's not like a justice system at all. Yeah, and the entire time he's being haunted by his friend and it's hard because O'Brien knows that the friend he created in his mind is not real. And Mm -hmm. so he's, it makes him push even more against what happened and his denial of, oh, I didn't really kill him. It was all imagined. But the thing is, is that it feels real to him. And Mm -hmm. that's what matters. And I was impressed overall by how supportive everybody was on DS9. I feel like if this was TOS, it would be no support at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So they really do everything they can to help O'Brien get in a better place. But he's so resistant because of his ego and because Mm -hmm. of his pride and his shame and guilt Mm -hmm. about everything that happened. I thought the last scene, and this is what has always haunted me, is when O'Brien's in the cargo bay after he nearly hits Molly, Mm -hmm. he comes to a point where he just can't live anymore. And Mm -hmm. he very very nearly unalives himself. If it wasn't for Bashir, O'Brien wouldn't have survived this episode because he loves his friend and he knows all of these warning signs and he's kind of following him. And so he sees him in the cargo bay about to um, cause... You know, irreparable harm to himself, and mm-hmm. he says, "Miles, you don't want to do this." And he's able to talk it through with O'Brien, and oh, yeah, yeah it's we're really all weeping with him. Yeah, like, we're it's all such weeping. A beautiful scene. call Melanie. Man, like we don't get Ooh. to see this side of O'Brien really ever. He does a fantastic yeah. job in this episode. It's a hard time, but I thought it was worth mentioning in the series because it's so haunting what what yeah. he goes through, and I just think we've never had a Star Trek episode go this deep into someone's psyche before. and I remember as a kid it was very hard to watch and even now it was hard to watch but I have a little more understanding of the world and how hard it can Mm -hmm. be context yeah yeah and also just how important it is to have friends like Bashir around you and a support system of people who really love and care about you yeah and always reach out you know they want you to Exactly. Oof, well, we're just gonna skim it over yeah. that one. And we're gonna go to Waltz, which is a great cave madness episode. Ah oh, yes. This one I can't wait to talk about someday in our Stranded on a Planet series. But I had to include it in the watch list because it's another great Gold of episode. This is not this is before he kills Jazia, but it's after he's like lost his freaking mind because of mm-hmm. the death of his daughter Zial. He's like absolutely crazy. We actually thought he was dead. It's kind of a part of kind of a death fake out. Absolutely yeah. death fake out. It turns out he's not. And Cisco has to escort him to a hearing. I think that's correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, there are shuttle crashes, and <laughs> they're stranded in this cave <laughs> together. And yeah. the scary part for me is the visions that Gold Ducat is having, especially because as as watchers, we are we know what Golduka is seeing. We see that he's being visited by Kira and who else? Damar Wyun. Demar, I think Garrick even. Oh no it is yeah. Yeah, Demar Whyun, exactly. Not uh, Garrick. Yeah, not Garrick. And uh, he's being really haunted by these people. And I think this is like a really important moment for Golducott because we really see like his true self come through. But I just love Cisco in this episode because he's like, oh my God, this guy's talking to no one. How do I reel him in? I'm injured. I can't do anything. And I'm relying on Golducott to get this transmitter working. Like this is a literal nightmare. (laughs) Yes. And we find out that Dukat is like warring with himself if he should kill Cisco. These scenes where he's talking to himself are <laughs> very terrifying and such great acting from both of their parts. What a great like position to put these two incredible characters into. Yeah, also a great position to put Nana Visitor, Jeffrey yeah. Combs, in because they do a great mm-hmm. job at tormenting Ducat. And there's yeah. there's a there's like a special especially a scene where Kira is laughing at Ducat oh and just like so so excited to see him suffer and I just love seeing it because Dukat gets furious and starts yelling at a cave wall and Cisco's like really? oh god like shooting <laughs> cave walls too yes yeah. yes so I just thought this one's due for a rewatch if you haven't seen this one in a while I just thought it was really great to mention because of the ghosts that literally haunt Gold Dukat are terrifying whether you're evil or not <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay the one we've all been waiting for and pog-nor. Empoc-nor. This is not Deep so, Space Nine during the no, occupation, which I get confused about. This is that was Terra Nor. This is Empoc-nor. Yes, it is a abandoned, so they think, space station that O'Brien, get almost a gashier. hilarious. O'Brien, Garrick, Nog, and company, meaning a lot of sweet red shirt engineers, um, go to salvage some supplies on MpochNor and discover that there are Cardassian like Cardassian experiments that um were sleep in like cryo sleep and they get awakened when they turn the power back on or something and they break out. Yeah, so it turns out that the Cardassians were doing all these experiments and specifically they talk about it makes them more xenophobic. Uh, And so they want to kill everyone who's not a Cardassian. And we see like minute 10 of this episode, Garrett gets some of this goop on his fingers. It's not immediately apparent what the goop is. But then once these random Cardassians are running around the station trying to kill the people from ds9 it's like oh bashir does the analysis like this is not good (laughs) yeah why is it always goop that's like scary you know (laughs) watch out for the goop everyone this is my warning to you this halloween don't touch the goop you literally especially if you're in the delta quadrant or on mpotnor (laughs) so um, just just say no not even once yeah yeah (laughs) literally And so we have seen that Garrick is sort of questioning O'Brien about the war. He wants to know how many Cardassians he killed. They have sort of an animosity because O'Brien is a war hero, but Garrick sees him more as a criminal, war criminal type thing. So they have some differences. And we see that the questioning gets more intense as Garrick's, uh, after Garrick's goop (laughs) infestation, um, you know, then he starts to show more xenophobic tendencies. It's apparently, like, towards anyone who isn't Cardassian. So could be anyone. Well, and what's crazy is actually, like, how this starts is one mm-hmm. of the rogue Cardassians... Well, both first, it's both the rogue... Both the Cardassians are going rogue, who are in this cryosleep, and... Mm-hmm. <laughs> they O'Brien splits everybody up like okay we have like the whole reason they're on impact NAR is because they need some materials for ds9 and there yeah. are so many overlapping pieces O'Brien's like we can't replicate this stuff but and be so time consuming to make it from scratch let's just try to take it from a neighboring station and so they break into groups of yeah. need would be nice and then like for fun basically <laughs> yeah exactly and so Garrick, like once the Cardassians are free He just goes full assassin mode, and Mm -hmm. I think it definitely started from this goop. I think without the goop, he might have been a little, um, like, not murdery. Um yeah, towards the Cardassians. Mm-hmm. And even like all the red shirts I, I'm actually sincerely calling them Redshirts, even though they're mm-hmm. there's not a speck of red on them. Um <laughs> yeah. they are some of them are really assured and like happy to see that Garrick is going after the Cardassians because they know he has kind of a weird background, but he's on their side, so it's gonna be okay. For me, like I think what triggers Garrick into this murder mode is mm-hmm. actually the murder of the Cardassians because he like a flip switch and he's like, that feels good.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: after that, it's there's really no hope. And O'Brien is forced into the situation where he has to probably kill Garrick in order to get everyone safely away from Impachnor. Especially mm-hmm. after, because uh, Nog is with them. And yeah. Nog sees that the shuttle that they came in has drifted away and exploded. And yeah. like there's no way off the station unless they can contact someone to come pick them up. Mm-hmm terrifying and especially because it's a rundown station a lot of powers off you get a lot of dark elements like literally dark um hard to see so all of the stalking scenes when garrick is first stalking the cardassians and then starts to hunt everyone else on the um everyone else on the mission is starts to become his prey it really is so scary those scenes especially because it's someone we love and someone who like we don't know a lot about sure but this is still a season five episode so we already know his whole past like everything else that's gone down with Garrick, we we love him by this point for sure it's really difficult to see this especially like the most horrifying part is when he kills that first crewman um, that he kills because he had just killed the second Cardassian so we think it's all over and then he turns the knife on the the crewman and just stabs him and, he, like, looks him in the eyes as he dies and everything. And so, luckily, he's able to tell everyone else it was Garrick who stabbed him before he actually dies. Because they wouldn't have known. They would have just, like, openly gone in to trust him like he did. Um, so then it becomes this hunt, you know. But you're hunting a friend and they're hunting you. And, oh, my God. Like, talk about the paranoia of, like, not knowing who is who is your enemy anymore. Such a common... <laughs> trope in all these episodes we've been watching yeah i really think it's it to the crux of ds9 is we trust mm-hmm. all of our friends except in some circumstances So they have some goop <laughs> then you can't trust they have them. some goop or some change i guess yeah changing goop yeah it still like it's goop. Still counts yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i honestly when i read the summary of this episode because everyone kept talking about impact noran again mm-hmm. i just I've, I've i've seen so many ds9 episodes just once I mm-hmm. I kind of forgot about this one and I honestly didn't believe the summary. I was like there's no way that Garrick runs wild and kills all these people in Impactor. Like they must be exaggerating. But nope, that's the that's the gist. <laughs> he does and not only that, but afterwards when he takes Nog hostage. Yes, you heard that. Garrick mm-hmm. takes Nog hostage and he Strings up the bodies. Sorry, this is a gruesome yep, episode, gruesome. y'all. Um, he strings up the bodies of the crew members that either the other Cardassians killed or that he killed. Essentially, yeah, he's just taunting O'Brien and it becomes this like really psychological game. And so I think the moral of the story is let sleeping Cardassians lie, you know, like don't yeah, turn them on. Exactly. Check for your sleeping Cardassians before you go to a station. Seriously. Well, and I do think that the battle between O'Brien and Garrick is really interesting at the end, because like you said, they've been kind of flirting with this the entire time, Mm -hmm. especially Garrick's been pushing it. And we learned like when Garrick is completely recovered back on DS9, everything's fine. O'Brien did intend to kill him. And Mm -hmm. it was just lucky that Garrick happened to survive the blast that O'Brien set off. And we we see, like, Garrick is deeply upset about what he's done, and he, he can't believe it. You know, this would be really mm-hmm. hard to live with, but knowing that O'Brien intended to kill him, I think just adds, like, another level of yike. <laughs> well, I think for him, actually, from Garrick's perspective, he was relieved that O'Brien was going for the kill because yeah. I don't think that, like, I think that he probably, if this was, like, a possession situation, like, he was kind of conscious in the back of his mind, like he's probably that guilt he's sort of like well I would have deserved it kind of thing like I think it's sort of eye for an eye is how Garrick sees a lot of things yep um so yeah terrifying but also I think it it assures him a little like okay we were both willing to go to the end yeah you know it's true and it marks what Garrick has been wanting the whole time which is like some kind of war thing from O'Brien so yeah exactly he gets what he wants yeah exactly um Man, so many good scares in this episode. The way that other Cardassians lure those two uh, crewmen with the turbo lift, and how like it's empty, and then they get them from behind, and one's like at the top area. Like, there's so many places to hide in 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 Empoknor M- or any of these Cardassian stations, you know. That it's ooh, it's so so good to and it's to dark see. the whole time. Like, there's no power mm-hmm. to the station. We know that there's booby traps going in.
1: Yeah, yeah, this is
0: a this is a really wonderful haunting episode for sure. Oh my gosh! Especially because Garrick at one point says uh, "secure" is a relative term, you know, and then yes. like that's before that everything goes down, and so it's even more f- fascinating to hear that quote like after the episode. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Ooh, wow. Shivers. Shivers.
0: Ooh, this is a spooky one. As yes. Usual. Oh my gosh, Rihanna! Thank you so much. This is. Just wonderful to dive into all the different types of scares that we can get throughout New Space Nine. Um, yeah, lot of mind games in this one. So many, yeah. Uh, it's so cool to see throughout each series too, like how different Star Trek can come up with. Yet again, every time I'm so pleasantly surprised by all these series and how different these all these episodes all end up being, even in the same theme. <laughs> Absolutely. And I really want to wish our listeners a very happy Halloween this week and also assurance that spooky season is not over. Just like you can continue to get as pumpkin spice latte at Starbucks. You can continue to get spooky episodes from the Dura Sisters podcast all the way to the end of the series. So yeah. we have uh, Voyager's coming out next week and then we have more episodes to go. So spooky times is not yet over. And the more we go in the series, the closer we get to Rihanna announcing the next series. So Keep on hanging there with us, and uh, we are happy to scare the living daylights out of you anytime you listen to the series. <laughs> Beautiful, Ashlyn. Thank you. And also, maybe I'll give a little sneak peek to the patrons what our next series is going to be. So if you want to know, I'll probably be dropping that this week, actually. So, Oh, my gosh. So uh, please hop on patreon.com and listen to the outro to see how you can become a patron Rihanna, thank you. That's uh, very exciting. I, I, I remember you saying what the series was, but I guess I'm just going to have to go listen to the Patreon announcement to remember. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, thank you, Ashlyn. Have a great night, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Dura Sisters podcast. Please tune in next week for the fourth episode of our spooky series where Ashton and Rihanna will discuss all the hair-raising moments in Star Trek Voyager. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to check to see our suggested watch list for upcoming episodes. Also take a moment to check out our content on Tumblr, TikTok, and especially our merch on Threadless. All links these can be found in the bio of any of our social media pages. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. By donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, the animated series, a review of Galaxy Quest, and Star Trek Trivia. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura Sisters podcast at gmail.com. So far, we have covered these podcast series. Pilot Episodes, Family, Love and Affection, Time Travel, Villains, Movies, Feminism, Death Fakeouts, and First Officers. If you haven't heard a particular series yet, please go back and listen to any of these awesome episodes. Social Media and Marketing by me, Ashlyn Gelman, and Rihanna Hurd. Editing is done by Rihanna Hurd and Ashlyn Gelman. Our intro and outro is by Jerry Goldsmith. hello and welcome to the dura sisters podcast we are not klingons but we are sisters and i'm ashlyn oh shit wait spooky do we want a spooky oh yeah yeah. Ah! ashlyn let's first talk about the episodes that you found scary nope nope um <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> no, before that Rihanna, we have a very important thing.